Welcome, everyone. We are back with another episode of Carpets and Coffee, where we literally just chit-chat and talk a couple hours away of Morelia stuff and drink coffee. And there's usually yes. snake talk and coffee talk. And um, I got to say, musings. yeah, yeah, there's something. Yeah. This morning, I, I had lofty ambitions that didn't pan out. I was like, all right, I'm going to get up at 645. I'm going to just hit the ground running. I'm going to drive to Stockton. I'm going to go to the Sportsman's Warehouse. I'm going to get shotgun shells right when they open early, go get coffee with my buddy, come back before we record. And then I was like, they don't open till nine. So that's not happening. My buddy's working. So that's not happening. And I slept my alarm. I was like, no, I'm going back to bed. I needed uh, I needed a good night's sleep, and right now this coffee is hitting so perfect. Is it? I need, yeah, I yeah, needed man. it. I needed it. I uh, I burnt the damn crap out of my lip last week because I put the coffee <laughs> in this like thermos that kept it so scalding hot for hours that by the time I wanted to drink it, it still hurt. Oh wow! So, yeah, so now I've let it rest. Bad. So it's not good. <laughs> no. It's like it's like when you make pizza and you know it's it's smoldering hot right out the oven, but that's when you still so bite it. You're like, ah, this is gonna hurt, yeah. but I love it. And then you're you're just ruined for the rest yeah. of, the, of the day because you're like not gonna taste it anyway. Yeah, yeah you no. burn the roof of your mouth. You ruined yeah. it. <laughs> oh my god. So no, but this coffee is perfect right now. I just. Yeah, you guys have probably <clears throat> been up and productive and doing stuff, and I'm like. Hell yeah. Not, <laughs> not me today. Oh, I was, no. Yeah, I was worried I wasn't going to be able to to do it because I was feeling so crappy yesterday from, from the shot. Mm. So I let mm-hmm. myself sleep in, and I feel great. It worked. Good. I'm the one non-vaccinated person here. Yeah, yeah. I, I got mine about 8 o'clock this morning. I got mine. Woo! Nice. Yeah. Early. Yeah, they said about 12 hours is if you're going to feel stuff, you're going to feel it like 12 hours in, you know, mm. so I don't know. So I don't just, know. We'll yeah. see. Take the rest of the day off. Maybe Very tomorrow. well done. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. But uh, you were talking about sleep and uh, I'll just, <laughs> you know, I, we were talking about it before we came on and like. I was telling you about how I was talking to Nipper and I just felt like shit, man. I just couldn't get anything together and like just dragging. We didn't do NPR on Thursday because I didn't feel good. And it was, you know, I, I, just, I just didn't feel right. Nipper's yelling at me. I got to get sleep. Of course. I get sleep. <laughs> man, was he right? I felt like I feel like I'm 20 again. Dude, <laughs> it's huge. It makes all the difference. All the difference. When you when you have to juggle stuff. Even for just a day off, like, yeah, your day off is it's meant to be enjoyed or be productive, whatever you have in mind. And if you're not like well rested, you're just going to squander that day. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's true. I'm ready. But now I'm going to get hit with the with the shot later on. I'll probably be on death's door tomorrow. Like, (laughs) uh, (laughs) hopefully not. I've I've heard it go both ways. You know, I've I've heard the people that are like me. Yeah, nothing. So yeah, you could right. very well be fine. Setting alarm. Check Fingers on crossed. Eric in twelve hours. <laughs> yeah. Hey Siri. <laughs> Everybody's please, things just go bleep. Please remind me to check on Eric. Yeah. Oh, uh, but Shoot. I did uh, on the coffee front. I was on Amazon and I'm cruising around just looking at uh, coffee stuff or whatever, and I stumble upon 
real true Australian coffee shipped from Australia. Ooh. What? So it comes tomorrow. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it because I can finally taste what Australian coffee tastes like without the without milk. The milk. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if they sprinkle a little bit of like Australian dirt in there just because. Oh, yeah. I, I would so. love it. Yeah. I was just thinking if we were bad people, which we're not, sacks of coffee beans present opportunity. <laughs> you sick man. Kidding. You. 100% you. kidding. I would never. Um, Jokes. <laughs> Luke, Lucas is uh, a wonderful I just rewatched uh, ethical, Breaking Bad. That's why. Yeah, Lucas. <laughs> Lucas is an ethical human being, and just want to throw that out there. His jokes are seriously <laughs> just jokes. Yes. 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 <laughs> the views of this individual do not represent the views of the Empire Network. <laughs> there you yeah. go. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Ooh. yeah, because when you were actually in Australia, you couldn't get a cup of black coffee without all the other stuff mm-hmm. in there, right? That was mm-hmm. kind of the the yeah. trouble. No. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Just wild coffee. Wild Timor coffee. Yes. Award winning Australian coffee. Mm. And then and you know, the other thing that sucked me in, it was called it was the company's called Wild Timor. And I'm like, <laughs> come Ooh. on, this is screaming my name. Yeah. Oh, that looks good. I might have to but, I might have to order some of that and try that out. Yeah. yeah I'll let, let you know, know on next week's carpets and coffee if it's any yeah, good. Yeah, that'll be that'll be Tune sweet. in to hear it live. <laughs> yeah oh man maybe oh, we have maybe, somebody maybe we'll hit them up moscow. we should get a moscow nice we could go full coffee snob and prepare like a little rubric and like check the boxes every week <laughs> <laughs> ah, there you go i like it i like Some it grading <clears throat> get on it intern. <laughs> <laughs> riley's been waiting a long time to say that <laughs> Did the intern just call me an intern? I think so. I don't We're know. We're both interns. Hey, Maybe hey, Owen hey. graduated him too. No, I have, I have the biggest the beard on this show. No, I know. I'm just kidding. I have the biggest beard on this show. <laughs> I'm coming Dude. for you though. This oh is yeah. True. Yeah, don't 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 shave it for like yeah, 10 me and, years. Me and Lucas, man, we're like, yeah, we're really catching up, you know? Yeah. Like, oh. I just do uh, it because like it's not a thing in my family to be able to grow a beard. Like my dad couldn't grow a beard if he wanted to. Right. And uh I can't. I'm the only one who can't. So I just show up looking absolutely grizzly Adams as hell and and they're like, What the heck? And I'm like, Hey, don't be don't be jealous, you know. Uh, there you go. So but one of these days I'll break down and get one of those like n- nice beard grooming kits and like really dial it in and you know. Just gotta Riley's let it grow. Reptiles for... brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh there man, you go. you're good. You're hired. You're hired. He has the Ryan says you're the intern with the most seniority. That's true. <laughs> so so Lucas is the intern that goes around delivering mail and getting everyone's coffee. I'm the intern who stands at the door and runs records. I guess I take yeah. Owen's lashes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he does. Yeah, because I lash out on him. He needs to direct that somewhere. You know? Yeah, especially because uh, now now we're trying to be good stewards and examples and not picking on people like you know, retake or ball python community members. He's got to he's got to get it out somehow. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, well, I suggested he lift weights or something like that, but he said that's too much work. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that is <laughs> be that's, looking that's, like that's, Nick Mutton. Oh. No. <laughs> 
Oh boy. <laughs> we can watch Owen and Nick Mutton wrestle. Oh in my smash. God. <laughs> to the death. Oh I would, man. I would pay big money to see that winner gets all the rough scales. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're wrestling Wait, for wagering ruffies. snakes. I think if yeah. you put roughies on the line, Owen would go like into some weird Hulk mode. Like everybody would be like, what the hell happened? He just explodes. <laughs> I can hear Nick in his, in my, my Nick voice. It's like, clearly you haven't thought about this all the way. Owen. clearly. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. Yep. That would be, that would be too much. Be too much. <sighs> yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, from last week's episode, uh, I have a new arrival, um, mm-hmm. a blue tongue skink. Man, more and a, cool. a really beautiful northern, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I got it from uh, Justin Julander, um, Australian addiction reptiles. Man, so cool. Yeah, that's um, awesome. You know how, like, I don't know. I've never really been a skink guy. I don't know why. Like, it just kind of like, I don't know. I just never really, like, looked at them or dove into them all that much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know. You know how I'm sort of on this, like, looking at other reptiles and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, you know, that would be pretty cool to have. And my wife is like, yeah, I I really, that would be cool. I would like that. I'm like, okay. So, I'm, like, looking around and trying to figure out, like, you know, who has what and whatnot and turns out and i i think i kind of knew this before but like when you really start to look at it they like follow the same exact colors oh. as carpets depending on where they're from really <clears throat> it's wild you know like uh huh. northern blue tongue skinks look like darwin colors and easterns look like coastal colors and westerns look like imbricata yeah and and the Centralians look like you know uh, the, the, the Bradley, yeah, wow. exactly, cool. Yeah. And of yeah. course the ones down south, um, they're real dark and black, you know. So it's like diamonds. same with the uh, the New Guinea ones, the Indonesian ones. They have a lot of natural variety with the same color palette as the Papuan carpets. That's yeah, pretty interesting. Oh. So, well, so that would be what those are uh, awesome lizards. convergent evolution for pigment. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, I, I mean, it tells I, I would, you. It definitely tells you that the pigment and the color is very tailored to the climate. It's significant at the very right. least. Right. Right. Yeah. There's 100%. some significance given that that it's it's present in both. That's so cool. So, so that I, puts you up to what three animals with legs? Yeah, two ackies and one wow. uh, blue tongue. Two. Are two. they in the same same area? Same room. Yeah, they're right there. Yep. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Right over there. Yeah. So, um, but I think it was like, a, it was just kind of chilling there. And then it's like, it's tongue comes out and it's just like this blue tongue. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Dude, they're that's so cool. That's why they call you that. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I, uh, I filmed one lapping up a, a cracked uh, quail egg once in slow motion on a macro lens. And it's the coolest thing to see that tongue and how it behaves and how it unfurls out from underneath because they don't show you all of it unless they're like really upset and then they can actually fan it out. So like if they're just calmly flicking, it just looks like a tongue. But when they're really stressed out or like really putting on the display, it comes out and it can fold out and get wider and they can really like make it big and blue and flush a lot of blood vessels into it. And it's impressive, man. It's really cool to see. 
Um, right. You know, obviously hope you never stress it out to that point, but if you do <laughs> see it, it's, yeah. you know, it's really neat. There's such, they're, they're probably not as busy body, cute little neat lizards like your Ackies are, but they, they're really cool things and you can feed them a lot of cool stuff. And, yeah, and man. It, they're just, I don't know. They're, they're awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I got it set up in a, you know, a, a little, uh, you know, enclosure that's kind of, um, got UV on it and, you know, mm-hmm. a little hot spot and stuff like that. And, you know, variety yeah. is the uh, key to the diet and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. They're pretty cool. I, I dig now it. You, now you can start building, uh, and making cool foam and rock ledges like, uh, what is it? Coops reptiles. He yeah. Makes, for his blueies, he makes those cool, oh, yeah, like hides and, and really gets into it and films it and shows it off. You could start doing stuff like that. So I ordered, a, I want to say it's a two-gallon bucket of that Zupoxy stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. from uh, Mike Stefani from Mike's Monitors. And, you know, we had him on the show, NPR, and we were talking to him and whatnot. And, like, I was really, like, really liking his enclosures. Well, they have a group, too. It's called Zupoxy something. Mm-hmm. And basically it shows you, like, what can be done with it. It is freaking amazing what you yeah. can do with this stuff. Yeah. Man. I mean, like they're making rocks and ledges and tree branches and like all this stuff, and it looks so realistic. It's it's crazy. Does yeah. it uh does it adhere to to like PVC and whatnot, or does it have to be on a certain surface? I think, from what I understood from Mike, um, and once it comes, he's gonna fill me in with more details. But um, he said, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty good that way. Like I know hmm. what what I saw one of the people do on the, um, on the Facebook group was they sort of had like, um, like chicken wire almost that they formed into like this tree branch. Mm-hmm. And I guess they just zoopoxied it up. And then when they were all done, it just, it looked freaking amazing. Like, uh, yeah. And then you could stamp texture into it. Yeah. yeah. Using like latex molds and things. I guess as good as your artistic skills are is mm-hmm. like, you know, sure. Um, if you're really good at that, um, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Building, building any enclosure features or full on enclosures for that matter is, is tons of fun when you, when you have those types of tools and like artistic, uh, ability at hand, people supporting you and, and like, you can really just make it specific. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. The process is fun the end result is fun seeing the animal use it is satisfying so it's cool like for sure. that yeah exactly wow. yeah you know what i mean yep that's that's pretty cool yeah that's awesome i mean that's really taking it to that that like private like, at your house zoo status that we mm-hmm. talked about yeah and that's sort of like i guess kind of like what I'm, you know, if you're going to do it right, you do it right. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like why so, around. so the guy who, uh, built the five big monitor exhibits at our shop, mm. he makes, uh, latex molds of like tree bark and rock texture. And then he keeps the latex. And so he built these exhibits. Um, he used concrete, not zoopoxy. Um, okay. But like the process is essentially the same and he stamped it all in. So there's like these fake logs that look like it's all bark and there's fake rock that's all like stamped. And then he like went back in and chiseled and smoothed it out and added color dyes and stuff. So 
it's amazing what can be done with it. Yeah. People wow. making branches and mangroves. Yeah. Kind of going with like a paper mache first and then yeah. covering it. Yeah. But it's just tough as all get out. It's super durable. So, so yeah, this is the finish. Like, look at that. It's amazing. Very yeah, cool. man. I, I can I can finally I was, you know, in my head right away, I'm thinking of like I think of that uh, you know, like that Bradley cage or mm-hmm. you know, having like those white gum trees mm-hmm. where it's like actually white, you know, mm. and it's like with on that orange background and that contrast between the two. Wow, that would that yeah looks sharp, but you yeah, could so. yeah, yeah. For me, like because I don't have the space to build something, I would just go get a get a eucalyptus cutting and like treat it somehow we've got them all over the place here dude same here they're in the park really they fall over every windstorm i don't know if i've ever told you the story eric but to send me some clippings or something oh (laughs) man yeah no it's a problem like a lot of my work days for the field biology stuff is just watching people cut down eucalyptus because they basically took over the east bay hills and they have very shallow roots and they fall over all the time Yeah, yeah oh really Wow. A long time ago, people brought them over thinking that they could serve as a windbreak on the headlands Mm -hmm. and also um, like fuel a different lumber industry. But they brought the wrong species. Mm -hmm. And the one that they brought shatters when you tried to make it into lumber. So now there's just eucalyptus everywhere with everywhere all over you drive around like Oakland Zoo. They surround Oakland Zoo. Oh, man, it's crazy. When are we going to stop with this, like, we somehow know better than nature kind of shit? You know what I mean? Like, no matter what we try to, like, when we try to, like, oh, we're doing this because we're trying to save it. It always screws up, man. It you never know? works. Like, yeah. No, it never works. Ever, so there's there's aboriginal folks or, or folks that live off the land, like, true native, like, people and they're the folks that's the mentality that you're talking about that's the relying on nature we need to nurture nature because nature nurtures us sort of thing and ever since tool making has happened we've been like oh we're manipulating stuff to our advantage we can make it better yeah and it's been game over so um yeah we're screwed i don't know but now that i got my second shot man i'm ready to go to australia who's in All right let's do it you know i'm in <coughs> me me. oh man uh, i'm i'm you know there's there's a transformation going on in my head about my collection over time and it's uh-huh. i don't know i don't know what the future holds but you're gonna become a beautiful butterfly i need to travel <laughs> oh but, yeah or that <laughs> but like i need to focus and i need to travel and i don't know hmm. is there somewhere you you're feeling a an itch to go outside of Australia because that's the given, right? But yeah. no, fair no. enough. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong; I'd be happy to go anywhere. Like, I haven't been to Costa Rica since I was a kid. I'd love to go back. Mm. I've been there twice and uh, and herped around there and walked through the rainforest as a kid and caught iguanas and you know saw sloths and toads and monkeys and birds and turtles and all sorts of cool stuff there but i'd like to go now now that i have an appreciation and and a safety factor so i can go out at night and maybe do some real herping in the forest go try and find fair to land start frogs uh things like that so yeah but i i miss costa rica man there's something 
there's something different about when you go somewhere and there aren't telephone wires and there, there aren't cars and you can ride a horse through the mountains for three hours and not worry about, you know, somebody trying to get a hold of you and you can just end up where you end up as long as you make it back down the hill before sundown. It's like the simpler life, the food is affordable. The people are smiling. You don't have to worry yeah, about somebody running in your pharmacy and stealing your drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like That's exactly. And, and uh, I don't know, like it's just different, but um, yeah, a little slice of that would be cool. I could use a refresher, but yeah, Australia, there's just so much of Australia to see that it's like, where would I like to go? Australia, there, Australia, there, Australia, totally. there, Australia, yeah. there, yeah. Australia, there. It's not there. a quick in and out. <laughs> I'd like to go there a hundred times. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I'll tell you this. You guys are younger than me. If you have the opportunity, you should take advantage of every time you can go. Every single time you can go, you should just do it, make it happen. Yeah. Don't putz around and wait and say, I'll do it then, I'll do it there, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just do it. Because I regret not doing it sooner. Um, and I regret mm -hmm. some of the trips that I could have went on and didn't. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you all you can do is just say, okay, well, I made a mistake. So now I'm going to, you know, that's why I'm so like passionate about people. And, you know, for me, it's Australia. For you guys, it seems to be Australia. But for other people, they might want to go to, you know, uh, Bioc or they want to go mm -hmm. to Borneo or they want to go to uh, Africa or wherever it is, Madagascar, all those things. Like, just do it, man. Because, mm -hmm. You don't know. You don't know how long. And then the other thing is, like, you know, with Australia, it's like, you know, with the cane toads and stuff, do you want to try to get to those spots where you can get there before they do, you know? And, you know, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that would be amazing. I just, yeah, uh, I, we take but, it for granted no. now. Yeah, look yeah. at that. Lorga lived there for five years. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. I even bought this book. It just came in the mail today because Keith is like a big time bird guy, right? Oh, nice. So like when I was there with Keith before, it's actually pretty thick. But when I was there with Keith before, he's like talking about all these different birds. And I'm like, you know, you don't, who knows, maybe later in life, I might be a birder or something. And I would regret not paying attention, you know, because it's not like you can go there all the time or any, you know what I'm saying? So like yeah. you gotta, you gotta sort of take advantage of what you can when you're there and try to soak in as much as you can, you know? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got to study up on my Aussie birds. <laughs> I just know that like, if as soon as I start going to Australia with any sort of regularity, i.e. like once a year, um, yep. I'm going to want stuff. Yep. That, yeah. <laughs> yep. I, uh, this morning I grabbed my phone and like, it was like, what time is it? Oh, okay. And I opened it and I opened Instagram. And the first thing I see is East Bay Vivarium posting babies of Rankin's dragons. I'm like, son of a bitch. Yeah, man. I yeah. want those. <laughs> yeah. And it, just like, just for the sheer fact that they're not your standard dragon. And I could see myself building like a, a black sand, like spin effects, grass, like, crazy tank for them and like having these little dragons running around and like that would be yeah, so man. cool yeah yeah it's like me and nipper talk about you know all the time about like since you know when you come back from there you want to try to look at pictures or look at something that sort of like brings you back to that spot and um you know for me that's sort of where i'm at with my reptiles and my collection and stuff like that i want I want to be able to walk into my reptile room and have that feeling of 
oh yeah, I remember seeing that. And like, I don't know, like these things that I sort of forget come back to me, you know what I mean? As mm -hmm. you're like sort of revisiting these things and stuff. Like when I, I last week, you know, I was on a photo sharing crazy mission yeah. of all these pictures that I even forgot I had. And I was looking at them I'm like, oh shit, I remember this. Oh, that so, and that's awesome, not, though, that's not, that's that. like a quarter of the pictures, you know? And mm. it's just, it's nuts. Oh, it's great. I was living vicariously through that. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Like the three hours that you're sending. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> I, I was like, I know at some point these guys are going to be like, stop sending pics. <laughs> or maybe send them all at once. So it's not like, <laughs> I leave my phone on silent. Oh, there you are. Smart man. Um, it's funny so, yeah. too because I think you were like maybe accidentally hitting the little thumbs up button as you were doing it. So it'd be like oh, yeah. picture, picture, thumbs up, picture, yeah. picture, 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 thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is little hobbit thumbs, man, you know. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. But um, yeah. So um <laughs> so I have a question, Riley. You're talking about we're, well, we were gonna talk about in this episode, like various setups for carpet pythons and like you know i think at this point a lot of people have talked about like how you can keep them better mm -hmm. um or like some of the things you could do if you want to make a display or like how would you keep them you know breed all this different stuff but mm -hmm. we never like go into detail to talk about it so i figured mm -hmm. i got so many emails and what triggered this is there was like i got like five emails from people asking about how to set up the first carpet you know, and I was like, okay, well, maybe that's a good topic to bring up, you know, to sort yeah. of, to go in the direction. So, um, but my first question is, before we get into that, you're talking about spin effects grass. Mm -hmm. How do you recreate that? Mm. Like, how would you recreate that? That's sort of what I'm trying to do and trying to figure out a way to do it. <clears throat> I was actually like Googling last week to see if I could find any fake spin effects looking plastic so was I. plants and Did, any uh, luck yeah me no neither. and and yeah. if somebody made that they would definitely there used to business. be <laughs> there used to be fake plant grasses made by some of those companies and i had them at the zoo uh years ago we we use them in displays and they were fantastic i had like big tufts of them that i put in with like the small woods and owls and they'd like disappear in them and hide in them they're perfect so they yeah. used to be made they might still be made you, you what you might try instead of looking them up as a reptile product is looking them up as like floral arrangements or things like that because there's a lot of companies that do stuff for like weddings or ceremonies or backgrounds and displays and so they do a lot of those same fake plants of the same caliber quality without the reptile markup so there, there might be some more digging around in there that might yield something, but yeah, I wouldn't know off top of my, off the top of my head because like we don't even carry anything in the shop, but those fake grasses, they used to make some really good, rigid, nice. Like I had ones that were like tan and looked like they were dried grasses. And then I yeah. had green ones that were nice and lush too. So, yeah. um, that, that would be perfect. If, yeah, we'll have to do some more digging around because I bet you, I bet you there's a company that does like this floral displays or fake displays or arrangements that has something similar that would be suitable. Right. Not super spin effects -y, but like stuff like this, I really like, I got this yeah. from the vivarium actually. Yeah. Uh, that looks like it was grass. made by that resin in the bottom of a jar type mold. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But so grasses. Yeah, it's tough to find grasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was like, I I thought maybe you could even like maybe set up like a little grow spot where you could actually grow. You could some type of grass, but I, you know, um, uh oh, they're looking at someone. Wayfair, get out. I gotta look this up. <laughs> so I was thinking, Alex hook us up. <laughs> so while you're looking that up, there's a, a company called Komodo. It's a small reptile company. They make like various products, and they're slowly getting their their name out there. They're under the uh, the central pet distribution umbrella, and they uh, they started making these little feeder cups that we sell in the shop one grows dandelions and one grows grass and it's just a little cup that's preceded with the proper soil and seeds and you just you know water it and leave it in there and it's meant to be for edible stuff for lizards but the same concept could apply for just growing and then before my bullfrog destroyed the tank with grass i threw just wheatgrass seed in there and watered that in soil and threw um uh, a Zilla LED light over it, and and it grew fantastically before the bullfrog killed it. So okay, you could certainly do that, um, and then yeah, just ma- maintain the grass somehow. I got. Uh, I guess this is what they're talking about. It's not like there you go. Yeah, and um, you could you could pull them out of the whatever they're usually if they're fake they're usually stuck in like a little foam foam block or something the size of whatever pot they're in so it like fits seamlessly. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's no exact match, but yeah, your your closest bet is probably looking outside of the the reptile world for stuff. See, like you want something that the reptile can kind of get in, right? You know, mm-hmm. like you want, I mean, that's kind of the point that they want to sort of be able to hide in there. But yeah, okay. All right. Oh, well, now I got a different way to look at it. So, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Some options. Yeah. I've had to do a lot of searching for supervisors when looking up things in bulk, when, you know, trying to put together big orders for the zoo, something like that, trying to get like, you know, tons of plants for lots of exhibit overhauls, et cetera, and had to start looking elsewhere. So, right. Yep. So, uh, okay. So I guess we kind of talked about yeah. that. Um, so Spinifex gra- grass adds a lot of cool accent to, to enclosure. Yeah. Man. Sure. Yeah. It really makes it, I sort of did the same thing. I went to like one of those, um, um, what do you call it? Like, I don't know, uh, like, craft stores or whatever and they had like the fake you know uh grass that was kind of like mm-hmm. that i put that in the ackies enclosure but it's it's not the same because i had to kind of break it apart and mm. it kind of had like they kind of put glitter in it or something so mm. I had to clean all that off and i don't know i just looking for straight just grass grass yeah <laughs> you know so yeah but um so <clears throat> i don't know let's maybe start with like if you got a baby carpet, right? Um, and you're just having one, how would you guys set it up? And are we talking like with, you know, the common commercially available stuff you would find at most reptile shops? Sure. Yeah. So like at, you know, any specialty reptile shop or Petco or whatever. Sure. Or something you could order online or what, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, just 
you know, knowing their natural history, history and husbandry, uh, if I were getting like, um, you know, a baby that's had say like five meals and two sheds and it's ready to go, I would probably start it out in one of those exoterra, um, nano talls. It's about, yeah. Something wow, like that. Yeah. That. The nano, the <laughs> nano size is a great footprint for a little guy. And, yeah, and it has, and they make that, that perfect little cube one. They make a tall mm-hmm. one and then you can go up in size for the 12 by 12 base, 12 by 12 cube, 18 tall, so on and so forth. And I would do something like that. Um, the nice thing is that background you can either choose to leave in or take out. So depending on how much clutter and things you want to put in there, if it gets in the way, just take it out. Um, I would, I would do, you know, a nice soil bedding, a good hide, a water bowl. And then I would fill the top area with some sort of like cluster of fake plants or something that are kind of either wedged in there or, or set rigid in the soil that if the animal wants to go up there and feel like kind of tucked in the, the foliage, it can, or if it wants to be on the ground under there. And then, you know, with a small cube like that, I would probably just run um, a small little heat pad on, on the side perhaps. Right. Yeah. That would, to me, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of with you. I was kind of thinking like, you know, if I was going to do, uh, carpet set up where I was given babies UV. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like, what could I get? So I bought this just to sort of experiment with it and see. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, that would make a good, you know, a good baby carpet cage. You um, know, it's a, a good light actually. And it's not made by Exoterra. Zilla has these line of lights. They're low wattage and they have ones that are either just the basking or a heat and UV. And they're usually low profile and, they have some that are this big as some, you know, that big and they can accommodate a 25 watt little halogen bulb that at certain heights can get, you know, a hundred degrees or so, but it can also sure. hold a UV bulb. Um, you could do something small like that. Uh, if, but if you're, yeah, with a small enclosure like that, the challenge is the heat, right? Yeah. Cause you can overdo yeah. it and right. eliminate all thermal gradient with even a low wattage bulb. So, that's why I think doing some sort of small heat pad on the side uh, or just, you know, a belly one with a small light overhead. If you want to provide UV or just some sort of ambient light, that's how I would do it in a smaller enclosure like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. Actually, that is pretty much what I had for my first carpet neonate was that exact setup. Okay. That little exoterra. How did it work? Um, It worked fine. Um, I started out, you know, cause this was pretty early on. So I was figuring out what I was doing do. with right. animals. So, um, I started out with just a basic heat bulb. Um, mm-hmm. I got one of the red ones mm-hmm. cause I thought I'd be able to sleep at night if it was red, mm-hmm. that was wrong. So <laughs> like I immediately went and swapped it out for, um, a ceramic bulb in one of those cage, mm-hmm. uh, fixtures. Um, uh-huh. that kind of just dangled above. So I did heat from above on a thermostat, which was probably in hindsight, not the easiest way to go about it. A heat pad on the but side. It worked. it worked. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I, I had a probe and in that little thing and yeah. like a big old ceramic that if something went wrong, could have easily baked that 
you know, it was a really strong heat source for a really small area. Right. Um, and then the other way that, that I do it now, uh, well now I just use the baby rack, but before that was, uh, the really secure, uh, little Ziploc, um, Tupperwares. It's these ones that have like the foam around the the clips. Yeah. 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 They have four clips, so it's really secure. And then I'll just put that on top of a heat pad and set it up like I would anything else. Um, and and yeah, that works really well. That's easy for quarantine. That's perfect for quarantine stuff. Like yeah. a quick setup. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. I do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, well, I mean, as far as like when I was breeding and keeping babies, you know, my basic setup was like, uh, I, I, I did it. It was more, um, it wasn't as naturalistic to the eye, but it still gave the same, um, things that the, you know, the baby carpet needed, if you will. So I would take, I think I used, I don't know, six quart tub or whatever. I got those perches from um, David Brahms with the mm-hmm. cup. And then when I, I, for, for a while I was using um, like hide boxes and stuff for them. Sometimes mm-hmm. I would use like toilet paper rolls or paper towel rolls and cut them in half. Cause you could, you know, like mm-hmm. recycle them, throw them away, all that kind of stuff. You didn't have to worry about cleaning them and, you, at least you got another use out of the paper towel roll before you threw it into you know into the recyclables. Yeah, I got a whole but, bucket full of those. Yeah, everybody was mm-hmm. saving me paper towel rolls, <laughs> tons of them. But uh, then I decided I tried something different, and basically I got sphagnum moss, and it was like I think it's from New Zealand. It's that like real clean stuff that comes in like a brick. I would order yeah. it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's almost like khaki color, I guess, Ooh. as opposed to like stuff I think you would I have buy. The same. Yeah. Okay. And basically what I did is I just sort of like I dunked it in water. I squeezed it out and I would stick it in the back by the. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. Yep. And I would stick it in the back and that would be the hide to me. And and I got that idea from short tails. Right. Um, When I was keeping short tails, Keith had said to me, um, if you have trouble with them eating or whatever, you might want to make just put it all in the bot. Just cover it with you know, spag the moss and, um, cause they like to, you know, be underneath and be waiting and that kind of, you know, ambush predator type of deal. Makes sense. Uh, and yeah, that worked great. They loved that. You know, um, I kept them that way for, for quite a while. And, uh, you know, I don't really have baby babies anymore, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was, uh, that worked pretty good, but I, I wanted to, you know, again, it was my experimenting and trying to, see what the difference would make and see if their eating was any better or, you know, just, just seeing what happened. And, um, I picked up that to sort of like mess around with, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. So then, so that, so that kind of covers how we would set up babies, right? Unless you had something yeah. different, Eric. No, no. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty so, straight ahead. And then for, for juveniles, and like sub adults, let's say like a, a two year old animal, let's, you know, an animal that's, you know, eating weaned rats or something, small rats, um, you know, probably inch in diameter. About three, four feet. Yeah. Maybe right. three, three feet or so, something <laughs> right. like that. Um, that's when you can start really getting creative because once you start getting into larger enclosures, you have more options. Yeah. Um, personally at that size, I mean, 
you can always order PVC cages and stuff online, but if we're talking what you're going to find in shops, you're probably not going to find, you know, PVC cages in shops. So the generic exoterras and stuff, you know, I would do, well, see, even, even those they're like, once you get bigger, you get a glass tank and you have screen, you have a hard time keeping humidity in. And, you know, as much as we preach carpets are bulletproof, you will find that, that those tanks can be rather arid. So Zilla actually makes tanks where the the screen lid comes with little plastic inserts into all the the mesh regions. And so oh, you okay. can choose how much you limit your ventilation. So okay. I I would honestly go for one of those. They're a little more expensive. A 20 gallon I think is like 180 bucks, which is silly. Wow. It's a front opening. It's got the background and it, you know, you can change the ventilation on the lid, but it's, it's pricey, but hmm. um, a bigger version, something like that would be my go-to just because of the, the limited ventilation. Um, but if you, if you buy a PVC cage or something, you'll be way better off, but yes, then you can give a thermal gradient. Then you can start dealing with basking lamps. If you want to go with lights and overhead heating, um, you know, assuming if it's just one animal, you're going to make it a nice display. Then you have vertical room for perching, um, plants, logs, driftwood. You know, you can really get creative. And again, the carpets, they're going to they're going to love whatever you give them. So a bigger water bowl to add surface area evaporation a little bit larger than, you know, what they can fit in. If you can swing it in the enclosure, because that'll help with humidity. Yeah. And then, you know hides on the ground stuff up top for them to use perching if if your local shop sells you know perching throw it up or go you know go to a home depot and get the the closet dowels and mm -hmm. rig those up and and either you know get some some of the galapagos jungle vine and cut it to fit or get some sticks and treat them yourself cut them to fit or do pvc and cut it to fit um you, you could really you could go as creative as you want with the larger enclosure like that. Yeah. I would think that, um, you know, so would you, would you guys recommend? So to me, I would say that if you're, if you're have a snake that size to me, I would just move it into the adult size cage. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I think they're going to, yeah. Most of the time I think they're going to do just fine. Usually a two year old animal is confident. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I've never had trouble with that. You know, people talk right. about, too much room an intermediate <laughs> enclosure like i yeah. don't know carpets are pretty confident animals mm -hmm. obviously you might have the odd one out that gets freaked and needs to be in a smaller space but yeah for I the most part that's okay yeah yeah <laughs> i have one yeah. like that but otherwise as long yeah. as in my experience as long as you're providing plenty of of hides and uh you know opportunities for them to be in a smaller space in a bigger space i've never had an issue mm -hmm. with uh like loss of feed or, or anything like that from a, right. a bigger enclosure. Mm -hmm. And you're just, when you can do that and successfully you're helping yourself out right in the future, because that's yeah. one less setup that you're going to have to pay right. for. And yeah. Yeah. Just clutter it up, fill it up with stuff that the animal can use or hide in or behind. And, and they, they won't feel the exposure of a large enclosure. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think, um, so I think, I think, I guess that you have to decide which direction you're going to go. If you're going to be, you know, more simplistic 
and when I say simplistic, I mean, and again, we're talking, we're not talking from the breeders aspect or anything like that. We're talking somebody that's getting a pet carpet, maybe has a couple snake, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. something that you're going to want to see like a display or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you can, you can go the route of <clears throat> using stuff. Like you were talking about using one of those rods that you'll find in Lowe's with the, the, the uh, closet uh supports yeah. for the rods and stuff yeah and you you can get that i think if i were doing that i would sort of do like a couple oh sure so that it was more like so it was more of like a ledge to where they can sort of drape or maybe like offset them a little bit or whatever mm-hmm. um yeah. rather than just having the chondro style right um you know single you, you know what perch. you could do too is you could go get pvc and some cutters keep them at home buy your own cutters for 15 bucks Go get some small PVC and a bunch of different like unions, oh, yeah. and corners yeah. and elbows, and you can make you can make something really simple. And you know, obviously, it's going to look like a white PVC thing. So, so dress it up if you if you're making a nice, beautiful tank. You know, coat it in latex and put coconut core all over it, and then twist some mm-hmm. vines all over it, or put moss right. on it. But you can make sort of like a little PVC platform table with, you know, parts that cross in the middle. So the animal has some middle sure. inserts, but you can make it custom to fit the enclosure. And, and, you know, depending on what your end game is, if you don't mm-hmm. care how it looks, then just leave it PVC. If you're, you know, sort of care, you can just wrap vines around it and like, right. Aha. and if you really care, then yeah, you can literally go, go full on craft time on it and like, coat it with yeah. material and and just kind of make it so it doesn't look like a white pvc perch in there and you can get creative with it and I add like plants yeah. yeah yeah now like Owen i did that sort of i did that with my apodora like, oh did you yeah. i sort of uses those tubs that you have lucas and yeah. he sort of uses that as sort of a hide slash mm-hmm. um basking or perching uh spot right you know? I was just going to say, I threw those in there as, as lay boxes, right? So full of sphagnum and whatnot. I'm just kind of planning ahead. But since I put them in there, the, the animals, you can kind of see a head mm-hmm. right there. They're using yep. them. Wow, this is hard to do. Okay. They're, yeah, right? they're, uh, <laughs> that was just me. I'm yeah. always like, Wait they're using them. Uh, the brettles <laughs> yeah. are using them as, as like ledges. And just when, when you were talking just now, Riley, I was thinking about how it could be cool to try and deck them out to look like a weirdly rectangular rock or something like that. Or like hell, if I cared, you, you, you could know. even like get cork flats and just glue cork onto it or mm-hmm. something. You could yeah. go crazy if you, you want. Could definitely do something with it because yeah. the way that, that they're utilizing them, I, I feel like I wouldn't even want to remove them after the, the breeding mm. season. I might just leave it because you know, it's, it's increasing their accessible surface area and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You, you know, could even um, go super crazy and cut a, a a hole in the side and put one of those uh, Draco portals on it and just leave it in there and have like a little mini enclosure cool. inside the yeah. enclosure. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what Lori does a lot, right? When she's yeah. moving from a smaller enclosure to a big enclosure, she just puts the small one inside. And yeah, lets so the snake figure it out. Yeah. So that right. one snake I have that is like a two year old living in a six quart tub who's really shy. I I am going to use that method to introduce her to the next enclosure once i have something free nice gotcha yeah but she is so damn shy dude she she won't take food off tongs i leave it in there it disappears she hides in her hide all the time like terribly shy Hmm. wow Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what it you is. You never know. They are individuals. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And that. And then Go adults. Ahead. What would you do for for adult? What would be your ideal adult? So. Composure? Now that I'm sort of like I've I've done three different styles, right? I've done cages in the past. Um, I moved to racks, and now I'm sort of moving back to cages. Um, but to me, I think I'm going the route of either building my own, or you know, I was talking to Chris Foley. He's kind of doing cages now and such. So, um, you know, obviously he's kind of busy at the moment, but like, and I'm in no rush. <clears throat> but um. So like diamond python enclosures that I'm looking at right now, my I have a couple ideas of, but height is key for me more so than, you know, obviously I would think it would be four foot, but I think, I think especially, you know, a lot of people have asked me about housing snakes together, you know, um, and what my thought on that is. And like, I've had some pretty crazy situations happen when I have two snakes in the same enclosure. Um, and it's kind of like they miss the rat and they get the snake and, you know, those kind of things and mm-hmm. running it underwater and all that stuff. Um, it's uh, it can be dicey. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about how you're going to feed them. I think after that, I don't I mean, unless you have two males together. Other than that, I don't I don't know why, why you would run into any issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. You For know. the two brittles that I'm cohabbing, it, it's exactly like you said. It's just, yeah. it's only dicey during feeding. And I, yeah. I just pull one out and don't risk it. You know, it's not yeah. too hard. Yeah. And, and then I don't have any issues. But yeah, I did have one thing happen, like what you described. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you learn. <laughs> well, you know, it's like you pull them out, right? And mm-hmm. then you go to put them back in. But that snake's still in like feeding mode. So any movement is like. Boom. And that's sort of how it happened with me, you know? So mm, interesting. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Oh shit. What do I have to wait 24 hours? Or like, Some people you know? wait. Yeah. Some people put them in a whole nother tub for a day. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I always think about, um, especially since you just had him on the show, uh, Python piece, old enclosures with, uh, the more vertical orientation, the pull-out tray of substrate. It was like maybe yeah. 18 inches wide and like three feet tall and perching, 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 overhead basking light. And the, the, the thermal gradient was basically vertical. And it was just a tray on the bottom where the water bowl was and the animal could defecate and do its thing down there, pull it out for cleaning, changing and stuff. But the animal stayed up in this, this enclosure that also was glass front or plexi or whatever it was. And I just think about that and how it was only maybe, maybe that wide. Right. And he had a bunch of them and it looked so efficient. Yeah. Um, I think about that a lot. I I just have that image like etched into my brain. I try to pick a lot of ideas from, you know, so you got Luke from Beachy Scaly Beast and you got uh, Coop from Coop's Coop's Reptiles and they do some really, and then of course you got Matt Somerville, which, Mm -hmm. oh man, his enclosures are just next level. I mean, um, and Doc Martin's uh, stuff, what he does with his, um, you know, Merton's monitors and stuff like that. He's got some really cool, cool stuff as well. But I I think like, Actually, I think it was I saw this with Peter Burtz. He sort of did like this rough scale cage when we were talking to him. We were talking about this, and he had like this 
like lay box, hide box off to the side that he could sort of like see what was going on, get into her if he had to. But visually, when you're looking into the cage, it's sort of just it still looks natural because of like, you know, there's like different ways you could do it. I know I've seen some people do like they'll take a box and they'll put like the foam around it. They'll mm -hmm. do like that cut foam and sort of mm -hmm. then sort of like, you know, go to town with the what is that stuff called? The uh, tough stuff, you know, like the stuff the, you, you the, sculpt. Yeah. yeah, the great and, stuff, yeah. foam, the expanding yeah, yeah, foam. That's but, great yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know do some really, really cool things. And I think about that, like even with like monitors and stuff, like you want to have that, that nest box. It's so important, especially with them to have like that mm -hmm. dirt that they can dig into and whatnot. And how do you sort of combine those worlds um, of doing the naturalistic look, but having the efficiency, if you, you know, so to choose to breed and you don't have to worry about adding you know, nest box or stuff like that. So I, I, I think what I'm getting at is you sort of have to figure out what you want and what your plans are. And obviously they may change over time, but like, you know, what would you plan on having one snake? Are you having two yeah. snakes and you're going to try to breed them and see what happens? Like wh where do you plan to go? So sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah and if it's going to be a display in your living room or something yeah. that you don't show off or, or what, yeah, it's functionality has to, come into you know analysis before you figure it out yeah. right and yeah. and it probably your plan probably will change i was chuckling when you were saying that because like yeah that was the plan wasn't it and then uh, yeah what, what happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no, as, far as, as far as as far as all of us right? yeah. what most pet shops are going to keep usually the biggest enclosure you're going to find is an exoterra large wide, which is a, a three foot by 18 inch by 18 inch front opening, but occasionally, and we have two of them right now, you'll find something bigger. That's three foot by three foot by 18 inches deep. And that's usually the biggest glass enclosure commercially available. It's like a $300, yeah. you know, three by three by 18. And I've seen people utilize those quite successfully. Um, yeah. Usually, getting some sort of piece of like manzanita wood or two uh setting up some vertical sort of like sloped branches um putting a basking lamp overhead and then having a hide down in the bottom water bowl some foliage stuff like that but again you're dealing with a glass enclosure with screen top um, a lot of them come with backgrounds now so that is made of foam that adds a little bit of insulation so if you want to be super creative, you could get one of those as your template and then get one of those cans of great stuff and and really like fill in the sidewalls so that at least it's insulated on the sides and the back. And then that will help keep some of your your temps and your humidity in. And then again, you have screen tops, so you'll have to figure out, you know, what you're what you're gonna do, how you're gonna heat it, how are you gonna provide, you know, the moisture in that enclosure. And that's three feet by three feet of airspace that you also have to now manage climate wise instead of like a smaller enclosure. And I think right. that managing the ambient climate is much harder for the average keeper to just comprehend. I think yeah. people get basking spots and they get thermal gradients, but the ambient stuff isn't really talked about. And that's where I think people go wrong because mm. they're trying to match a light bulb with the enclosure for the species, but they're not taking into account, well, how warm do you keep the room that you're keeping that enclosure in? That's like an, like a basic question I ask a lot of folks is like, yeah. okay, are you running your AC at 68 all the time? 
or you let right. it fluctuate with the summer out here. Like, how does that, cause that'll make a big difference, you know, eight degree swing in your, in your ambient living room, you know, or wherever you're putting this enclosure can make a big difference. So, and most yeah, people like, just the concept of a thermostat is like so extra to some people. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's, hilarious. It's, it's like, crazy. Cause all these big corporate companies, they make really basic, simple and effective thermostats for mm -hmm. under 70 bucks. And people are just like, nah, <laughs> look, at those, look at those people and, and say, do you have a thermostat in your house? <laughs> <laughs> do you like your thermostat <laughs> yeah that's now nah, we just turn it on we turn the heat on and see how high it goes just let it exactly. ride yeah. we're sweating. <laughs> um yeah. yeah you know the the as far as the thermostat goes right so i got a question for you let's see what you guys think of this like so when you're setting up um a thermostat are you saying that they should have a thermostat as like a hot spot if they're using a light not like a, a heat bulb because then you're going to get pulsing just straight to that spot. Okay. Yeah. Cause if you, if I were to throw a thermostat under just like a day basking bulb, it would heat up and then it would shut off and then it would come on and shut off. And eventually I'm going to pop that bulb. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah. So thermostats are really good for heat pads, ceramic heat emitters, heat um, panels. Radiant heat heat panels, panels that's kind of the basics if you are going to use uh like a just a, a light bulb a basking bulb what you then need to understand is at at what distance is this wattage of a bulb going to create what temperature on the surface mm -hmm. and how is that going to affect the animal and is it you know certain bulbs are like the round orb spherical bulbs, they're meant to just sort of put out heat just in general everywhere. The ones that have more of like a, a compressed sort of shape, they usually have a reflector in the back and it's designed to concentrate its heat. That's why you see those basking bulbs tend to be shaped like that. And so right. you have to keep that in mind. Are you attempting to just heat the whole thing up a little bit more? Or are you trying to put a concentrated basking um, spot for your animal? So there, it, it really does depend on your animals need. So if we're talking about a carpet python that wants to bask, you know, let's say you've got a ceramic heater that's heating your whole enclosure and you're running that with a thermostat, you're just using that to hit your, your low end, right? So say you set your thermostat with a ceramic bulb to heat everything to like 80, but then you have a basking bulb that just like in this other area, just gives that animal that boost, depending on the distance between the bulb and whatever surface that animal's expected to bask on, that's going right. to affect what that surface temperature is and the wattage of the bulb, so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. just a little, there's a little more detail to comprehend when you're doing, um, you know, different lighting. Um, yes. Right. There's so right. many light bulb um, options. <laughs> it's crazy. It's very um yeah very sort of uh it can be overwhelming you know mm -hmm. especially if you don't sort of know have any clue or haven't been exposed to it or you know or you're talking to somebody not trying to trash people at pet smart but like you know that's okay you know, go ahead <laughs> you know you know what you know what i'm about to say it's they don't complex. necessarily know no. Um, you know, like, you know, if you're going to a shop like what Riley's at, you know, obviously you're going to get that experience, which is, which is why I would say, 
you know, if you're going to buy a reptile and you're, you should try to seek out one of those shops so that not only are you supporting a local, you know, business, but you're also going to get experience for the most part, you know, at least there's going to be somebody, every, every specialty reptile shop that I went to, there's always a guy, you know, uh, uh, that I would interact with that would be like, you know, a couple of times it was a girl, there was a couple of girls too, that I would interact with that. They would be the no, the person mm-hmm. in the know, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? They would, yeah. they would, they would know. Um, I mean, it's good to know, like when I was at the vivarium, we all knew like which, you know, person on staff knew the most about what, yes. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we got a lizard question, go, go to blah, blah, Correct. blah, you know, sure, and sure. that's just the best way to do it. You know, yeah. you don't want somebody giving out bad advice when yeah, you have somebody right. that knows what they're doing. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I lean on my, my teammates for like the fish stuff or isopod stuff or whatever. And then, you know, snake stuff they kind of lean on me for. And so it, it kind of works out like that. But I mean, the, the other thing is the hardest part about all of this is remembering the perspective. So a potential mm-hmm. buyer has a different perspective of keeping this animal that we do. They have a different perspective yeah. of the the technology and the equipment and the status of the hobby and prices and what the animals really need and behavior and all this and that. So you know, it's not like getting a dog or a cat where all you have to do is make sure their stomach agrees with the food and you take it out and clean the litter box. And it doesn't matter if it's warm or cold, the animal is going to be with you, you know, like that. This is very different. Reptiles need, you have to control their climate. They can't just be willy nilly, whatever. And they do have a very specific diet and they do have very specific needs and all this stuff, even the most simplest of terms. And, and I think from, uh, a perspective of the average person out in the world they don't know that and mm-hmm. and that's why you see them bringing their ball python in around their neck in the middle of december outside and you're just like <laughs> not why? a great idea anytime stop of the it year. Stop <laughs> yeah, leave it at home <laughs> it's not a good idea just for our disease yeah. control and cross-contamination purposes and sanitary reptile keeping but yeah and stress that animal doesn't like being hung out the window of your car on the freeway. Right. I saw when (laughs) there was one just whack music festival that I played with my band, like in the Mojave desert, it was a terrible time. Somebody brought a ball Python. It was like Mm. one of those camping festivals and they had a ball Python. I was so disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's just, they're so complex, even in the simplest of ways. So, Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, yeah, Alex, Oliver, Alex oh, Oliver made a good point about, um, they, uh, focused cube is making custom tops for those cages. So you can get inserts where it's all PVC and they have ports for the cords on the back and they have small ventilation slits and stuff, but otherwise it's a PVC lid instead of screen. And that is a great option. You just have to then take into account what you're doing for like if you're doing a light, then all of a sudden you can't just put it on top. You have to, you know, make adjustments. So there's little things like that. Um, right. I was going to put this one. This was a good tip, like floating corner shelves, you know, like mm-hmm. those home Depot corner shelves. Mm-hmm. You could make those as like basking spots as you go up. Um, yeah, you know. that's a great idea. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then Ryan had a pretty cool thing. And I did see this, I think it was on his Facebook page. Maybe he shared it in one of the group chats or something, but um, he cuts that coffee, plastic coffee container in half and sort of uses it on the perch as like 
I think Nick does this a lot. Ryan does this. I think there's quite a few people now that do it where they take those hide boxes and they sort of put like the, uh, you know, like the rails in the top of the cage mm-hmm, and then it sort mm-hmm. of slides in there type of thing. Yeah, Carpet I love that. seem to love that. They I think love that's a great idea. up, looking down, you know, uh-huh. so that's that's a good one. Um, yeah, I think that's see, an what was awesome, the other one? awesome little invention. Another, another question that Ryan sort of had was, um, you know, would you do three by three by 18 or go 55 gallon? And I think he said that, you know, one of those extra terrors is 300 plus. Yeah. They're expensive. So 55 gallon is 75 bucks. I, I, you know, I guess you could go that way, but I mean, if you're going into a four foot at that point, I would just say buy a PVC enclosure, you know, there's so many it. companies out there. Yeah. Or build a wooden cage or something either like that. build something out of wood and lie and, and seal it nicely. Get like, get, get a good, quality um like birch or something really nice yeah. shell out for the good wood and then treat it appropriately you just right you, you you seal it with like a pond sealer you do a couple layers of that and then you know it's it's moisture resistant and then you know you can drill some holes and put uh manufactured ventilation inserts in there so you've got ventilation you've got good wood that isn't going to warp and go crazy on you so you can build something or yeah just go buy pvc because honestly once you experience climate control with pvc you'll realize how much glass lets heat and moisture out it's not just screen it's glass too it's like a it's like the biggest most frustrating thing for me to like explain <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's you know one of the things that um i i've recently have thought about this right because i'm using i've used radiant heat panels as as hot spots in the past right to sort of give a thermal gradient so like mm-hmm. um right now the cooler end of my diamond cage is it has to be cooler and then like over on the the other side i have the the radiant heat panel but i think you can, I'm not saying that you can't use them because I have for years, you can use it as a hotspot. But what I would do is if, especially if you're doing like a naturalistic setup and say in your living room or something where the average temperature is like say 70 degrees or something like that, probably will be okay for, for a carpet, you know, um, as long as they can heat up, they, they may even like, like that temperature better. But if you get much below that, it's almost like I would take that radiant heat panel and put, put it on a thermostat and put it for say like 75 degrees, 70 mm-hmm. degrees, whatever. So that if it did drop below that ambient air within the cage would still stay at that 70 degrees. And then you mm-hmm. could have that basking spot. Um, you know, it's almost yeah. like you could sort of, <clears throat> I don't know, it would, I'd have to experiment with this to sort of see how it worked, but you could have that basking spot on during the day and turn the radiant heat panel off. Right. And then mm-hmm. at night, the basking spot would come off and that radiant heat paddle would come on to sort of just give a nice, um, you know, ambient heat mm-hmm. throughout the night. You know, right? Yeah, but, it'd be it'd be all too easy to rig something up with a basic timer for the light. Sure. Yeah. Um, and heck, you could even set it so the the radiant heat panel with the thermostat just because of how it runs, just kind of manually turns itself off while that basking yeah. lights on. Yeah. Just have it have it ramp up and down, and then ramp yeah, up and you, down, yeah, yeah, and then use it to keep the low end from getting too cold, and use it to manage that. Let the climate fluctuate a little bit, and then have that basking spot. I I've spent more time recently learning myself and explaining to customers about different light bulbs because 
one the availability in the shop kind of ebbs and flows as a result of covid supply chain mm-hmm. um so I've, I've been forced to sort of learn you know maybe 30 different light bulbs and their different applications on the fly and and improvise when something's not available with something else and there's a lot out there but there you know some of those those bulbs out there are fantastic with what they can put out as far as heat and uv in certain ranges and it's only getting better yeah um so you can really use just one, you know, I mean, shoot, you can, depending on how big the enclosure is, you could just set up a, a, the Exoterra Solar Glow or these Arcadia, um, the deep heat projectors, uh, you know, those, a couple of those. Yeah, those uh, people <laughs> are goes. really, people are really singing praises of Arcadia and they have been for a while, but like they keep knocking out of the park with these great products. Yeah. The deep heat projectors, it, it's a different kind of heat. I think it gets, I think it works better for reptiles and it's lower wattage yeah. than what you need to achieve the basking temperatures. If you were to just use say a light bulb. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more efficient on your energy bill. Right. Yeah, it was. Um, so what was odd to me, right is that it's not really a light right yeah. so i thought they didn't work like oh i, I screwed yeah. it in i didn't realize that it wasn't like that right yeah it's, so it's a like, wavelength yes yeah which is so like i i didn't i i had these for the ackies right because nipper mm-hmm. was telling me about these dp projectors and he mm-hmm. swears by them and says that he's seen a difference in his reptiles basking and such um and uh, I was like, okay, let me give them a try and see what it's all about, right? So I, I get it, and I, I screw it in. And they're not that cheap, right? They're not right. the cheapest bulb. Um, but uh, I, I screw it in, and I turn it on, and it doesn't work. So then I'm like, is it the, you know, I keep, I'm changing out the 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 actual um, the light uh, fixture. I go and try a different one. I'm like, oh, my God, I just spent, like, I don't know what they were, like 30 bucks or something on this light, and it doesn't work. So I, I had got two of them. So I tried the other one and it was the same thing. And I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right <laughs> here. Like, funny. what am I doing, man? That's funny. And uh, I, I just, I said, let me turn it on. Maybe it's got to warm up or something because I know at work, like certain bulbs that we have mm-hmm. in the ceiling or stuff, if they blow out and then they get yeah, like, they, if we had a power surge or something yeah, they like have that, a safety ballast in them, right. They have to sort yeah. of like warm back up and come back on. So I'm like, all right, let me leave it alone. So I come back and it's hot. But there's no light. I'm <laughs> just like, oh, okay. So light bulb. If, right. If you're gonna do something <laughs> like this, you know, you want to make sure that you sort of have something that yeah. um that they can get to. So yeah, yeah those are um, and that's a good bulb to use with a thermostat because it doesn't put out light, so you're not mm-hmm. gonna worry about blowing it. Right, right. Yeah. So and so, again, you know, this is another one of those things that's gonna be completely dependent to where you are and and like what you're environment is yeah. right because mm-hmm. like for me top cage behind me there's just one ceramic in there and my conditions are such that that thing on a thermostat gives me a perfect gradient you know right hot spot right under it my cold side doesn't get too cold you know yeah. it, it's all good so that's why know, the ambient's important right yeah exactly it's going to influence how your setup is is going to function you know no matter sure. what like right the purpose of any of the various heating elements that we could use here is to fight whatever your ambient is. Right. So right. the extent that it has to do that is going to just depend on where you're at. 
Um, yeah. And you, you really just have to keep a finger on the pulse with it, you know, because like when I put UVB in with the false water Cobra, um, that's great. And I'm glad I did that, but that UVB volt bulb also gives off heat and a little, uh, bit, a little bit of warmth just from the electric more, current going yeah, right more than I yeah. thought it would. So yeah. now I know on, on actual hot days, I'm going to have to turn that thing off. Um, mm, it's right. just going to be too warm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, something that you just kind of learn by, by yeah. doing if you will yeah. you know these led lights get warm throughout the day and the snakes like to hug them so that's mm -hmm. why the snakes are drawn to climbing up and making me upset and you would wonder Falling like on if camera. you have a hot spot right <laughs> like if you have a hot spot mm -hmm. why would they be drawn to that mm -hmm. if you you know what i mean like what is different about that is it just something different is it it gives Maybe off a different uh, kind of heat yeah I, yeah. I I wonder if maybe it's attractive because it's warm and elevated. Yeah, know? could be. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, boreal. One of the things I I I learned about ackies or learned about lighting and and heat spots and all that when you're using a light, right? You can have a very low wattage bulb, and if you have that real close to the hot spot, mm -hmm. you're gonna get a you know a, a hot spot that like so you got you could sort of play with the height of wherever that you know, basking area is, you know, whether you stack cork bark up or, you know, whatever you can, you can, you can really get a nice, and you can even get a, a, a gradient within the stack. Right. I mean, what's that reed stacks that reed stacks. Kind of do it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, they'll, they'll, they could get it. So I've noticed with the Ackies with what I have going on and I know obviously we're talking carpets, but it's the same thing sort of, mm -hmm. they can, they can kind of like climb into those cracks and maybe this crack is 85 degrees, this crack is 95 degrees, this mm -hmm. crack is 107 degrees, and right out there on the basking spot is 150 degrees. Yep. It's just Don't a vertical for a carpet. <laughs> just a vertical thermal gradient instead of a horizontal yeah. one on a cage. Right. Yeah. It's just right. different. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, you, so, could, you could utilize the same technology for for carpets. If you want to achieve your heat source via overhead basking, you could do the same thing. Just you know, yeah. don't don't go for 150. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i would say depending on the carpet and depending on that ambient and like you know the sort of like i i would say probably for a hot spot you're looking at anywhere from 85 to 90 degrees depending mm -hmm. on like so for diamond pythons i'm giving a a warmer hot spot but for a shorter amount of time um yeah, and, and, I, the, I, and the the concept is they'll they'll use it for as long as they need and then go. Away. Yeah, and they kind of move them back and forth throughout the day, depending on you know what's going on with the ambient. Now, my other snake room, I I I think you do that. I don't know if you do this, Lucas, but I know you do it, Riley. Where I I heat the room, mm -hmm. so the ambient is so you don't do that. I do right? not. Okay. No, because yeah. no, he mean, has to he has to live in it and sleep in ah! it. Yeah, well, for one, it's my room, <laughs> and, uh, and and that's yeah. why he's the intern and I'm the senior intern. <laughs> yeah, okay, but also I don't have heat, so even if even if I wanted oh, to, I'd have oh, to buy true. something. And yeah, um, you know, yeah, Bay you, Area, pretty, yeah, you pretty don't, mild you don't climate. Really, I don't, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all good. But right. so, well, yeah. So that's that's the. I was just thinking about that. Like it, it's different if I'm putting a, an animal inside a, a reptile room versus putting it out in the living room. And it's right. the same for 
a keeper if they're using their bedroom or a designated room for animals or it's just one off in the house somewhere you know that definitely dictates the equipment they use to achieve their climate goals right um but yeah i you know if you're running it in a room like i am where i have the thermostat controlling the heater and i'm heating an ambient minimum then my enclosure heating elements don't have to work quite as hard to heat that same set point because the room is also participating in that goal. Mm -hmm. That's the difference uh, as opposed to having a living room, you know, 40 gallon with a bearded dragon sort of thing and, you know, heating that appropriately. Mm -hmm. Right. So I will say too, I mean, knowing that I'm not able to provide a super warm overall environment, like, that's been the case ever since I started working with reptiles. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually pretty amazing how consistently I've lived places with no heat. It, right. It's weird. Um, but like I, I've almost picked species that are okay with that on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the right. brettles don't care. The aspidites right. don't care. Right. Um, right. I don't really have anything that is going to have a rough time with cold temperatures, which which is great. The falsies are are the closest to it and they're pretty yeah. hardy too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of lucky where I have, I have the ability to have two separate spots. Right. Mm-hmm. So like all the stuff that you're talking about is sort of like Casey Cannon's approach, right? Mm-hmm. He sort of has geared his collection to be towards those, you know, bread lie, breadly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, type of, um, uh, snakes that can withstand those colder temperatures you know diamond pythons inlands probably fall into that totally bolands pythons you know things like that i'll take take, yeah (laughs) yeah they could sort of withstand those those colder ambient temperatures and almost you know i would i would dare to say want those colder ambient temperatures you know um especially diamond pythons um and as long as you're providing, so, so to compensate for that, I, and I don't know how you do it to compensate for that. Like I was saying, my hot spots in here are like anywhere from 87 to 90 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you go into my other snake room where I'm heating the room to say 78 to 80 degrees, the ambient temperature in the room is just that my hot spots are going to be maybe 85, 86, you know, at the top, you know, right. so, and obviously they're different you know, uh, it, it will be interesting when I move into that room and start redoing the cages and stuff in there, how, uh, it's going to affect things and like experiment with, um, you know, hot spots and ambient and all these things that we're talking about. It's, it's sort of like you have to have a game plan and sort of think it out. And I think a lot of times when you sort of think you have it figured out, you, you sort of go into it and then you're sort of like, Oh, well, this didn't work. <laughs> so yeah. it's back to the drawing board, you know, yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Got to love working time. with animals, keeping you guessing. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. the the moment you think you have it right and you stop checking is when something's going to go wrong, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just the way of things. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So like even the design of the cage, I'm trying to figure out for these diamonds, like how do I give them UV basking spots and, you know, hot spots do i do i sort of like put some hot spots on um you know like use heat cable or something and put it on like make a ledge with some heat cable and sort of like do something like that and then i have another one where it's a hotter you know basking spot if i'm going with height you know with these different sort of like 
what they were talking about with the uh, Home Depot like corner ledges or whatever, doing something yeah. like that and having that be a ledge where it's it's a warm ledge and it's on a thermostat and all. So, if it know. were me, I would use um, one of the mercury vapor heat and UV bulbs that we we basically sell for lizards and basking spots, like something sure. I would sell somebody for a bearded dragon because uh-huh. then it's heat and UV. And you uh-huh. can have it on a timer so it goes on for like four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon, something like that. And then it's just off. And for a, an animal where you want it to experience the ambient lows for most of the time, but then have access to periodic basking, like that's how I would do it. And then when it goes to bask, it's also getting the UV. Now you could also, if you want to observe if there's particular basking for just uv then you you, you know you get right that's what UV i was gonna and, ask you yeah. yeah so then you can get just a uv bulb and just a heat bulb and run them at separate times and see if the animal prefers one or has behaviors towards one and the other at different times or or whatever so mm-hmm. yeah you could absolutely get separate uh separate uv and separate heat bulbs for that yeah, I sort of have this vision in my head of like this big tree trunk going up side of this cage and like this corner where it kind of like, you know, and like having these little pockets where I can put, you know, ferns and stuff like that to give like full, you know, foliage over across the top to where it's can sort of like get into these little spots where it can escape heat or, you know, sort of like what we were talking about with the reed stack, like that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. But you using plants and you know cork bark or stuff like that, so that it can sort of like you know pick and choose where it wants to go. But um, I, I never thought about the UV and the um, heat because I always thought that you sort of had to keep them separate because if it wanted to bask in the UV, it wouldn't be able to without getting the heat as well. You know? Yeah. No, you could you could do either way. It really depends right. on what your goal is. Like if you just want to have one one bulb in one hot right. spot and one sort of thing and just boom you can do that if you want to light the cage with uv you can do that but then yeah the the disadvantage of doing it that way is you just don't know if the animal's showing behavioral preference towards uv or not right uh, when yeah. it's when it's all combined or always so, present so would you recommend also to have light on top of that as well like uv spot a basking spot and then like say some leds or something in the cage as well well, yeah. And again, so, we're just talking like this is like you know, sky's the limit type of yeah. you know, yeah. making the perfect enclosure. Yeah, if you uh, if you want to do live plants, um, right. an LED will help those live plants stay alive, and LEDs aren't expensive. So, if you want to be able to provide the photo period and light in the enclosure through artificial lighting, LEDs is the way I would go. Um, you can get LEDs for plant growth as well, and you can set them however you want and set it all on timers. And then you can control UV and heat separately in their own fixtures if you'd like to do that. So, yeah, if you really want to go balls of the wall and like do it all out and like be able to tell everything that's going on, I would run a strip of LED in the top, you know, so it can light up the enclosure and, and provide some UVA for your plants. And then I would have, you know, some sort of shelf or corner pocket or whatever where it's all at. And then 
Yeah, perfect. So the uh, the Arcadia LED oh, yeah. bars, the Jungle Dawn bars, those I have are one of those. I'm not using yeah. it, but I have one. <laughs> those are great. Those are really good for light, for plant growth. Um, so you could use that and just light up the cage with that. Have that for your ambient photo period. Just set that on a timer so it like goes on in the morning, comes off in the evening, and then have a second timer for a basking spot and then a third timer for a UV bulb if you want to do you know, those separate and controlled. Right. And they make, you know, you can either get individual fixtures for each, or you can get a combo fixture and just put it over one area so that they know like, this is the, the basking platform and they use it, right. or you can have it so that like the UVs on that side and the, the heat bulbs over on that side. And you just have this large basking area. It, it really depends on what you're trying to, to discern in your animal's behavior, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So as usual, the sky's the limit and there's no answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But it'd be, but like, okay. So if it were me and I was set uh, either building or buying a cage, doesn't matter. Just doing something three by three, you know, whatever. Um, I would have some sort of vertical, like three vertical platforms or, you know, sections on a tree root or something like that, or a fake branch have a, a basking lamp overhead so the animal has different levels it can choose at which to bask and then i would have that come on um you know first first wave of the early morning or late morning early afternoon and then do a late afternoon one and then have uv come on kind of the middle of the day and see when the animal decides to go up to those basking areas or if it goes or moves at all and then just observe it, like document, like, okay, when, when the, the heat bulb came on, the snake went up closer to it. Or when the UV bulb came on, the snake, you know, uh, went and basked under it for 10 minutes and then retreated down to the floor and just right. take anecdotal data and, you know, just watch the animal over the course of several months and just record everything. And, you, you know, eventually patterns and behaviors will emerge in your, in your record keeping. And then, then you can kind of tinker with it over time. This is like a long process, of course, and you can dial it in like, okay, this is what my animal wants to do. Right. You, you know, like if you see the animal coming out 10 minutes before the lights always come on, you know, that animal's kind of figured it out and it's got a pattern of behavior. It's like, okay, it bass and it always comes on at this time. And so it's always waiting for it. And so you can, you can really tell what your animal wants mm -hmm. as it yeah. learns what you're providing it and then asks for it, so to speak, you know? Right. Or at least anticipates it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I was even thinking about, you know, I don't know if he wants me to say his name, so I'm not going to say his name, but, um, at carpet fest and you met him Riley, uh, mm -hmm. here, um, there was a gentleman that we talked to. I know he's kind of secretive and people that know him will know what I'm talking about as, a whole bunch of mulch just falls down in my closet. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, he was saying about how he was trying to design a, a, a green tree cage. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And he was basically saying about how he took these computer fans mm -hmm. and he sort of put it to where it was constantly, like, not constantly, every so often it would sort of circulate the old air out and bring new air in. So it was constantly getting this, you know, uh, fresh air into the cage, which helped mm -hmm. with humidity on a humidity cycle. Right. He, I, I forget exactly how he did it a hundred percent, like where he gauged to where it would 
you know, turn on or whatever, but I think it was linked to the humidity because part of the struggle with, with some of uh, Morelia is the fact of giving them humidity, but not too much to where, you know, mold and respiratory, mm-hmm. you know, all these things and scale rot and all, all things that can happen from too wet um, environments. Mm-hmm. So he was sort of like, you know, getting that air coming through constantly, which, you know, when I talk to Keith, he swears that ventilation is one of the things that people overlook all the time. And so important, especially, mm-hmm. you oh, yeah. know, thinking about racks and some of these cages where it's like a couple slits in the kit, you know what I mean? So like thinking mm-hmm. about that and, and trying to design something that sort of, um, you know, takes that into mind is something that I'm also sort of looking at, like how I could exchange the air in the cage. I think that, I wouldn't, for me, I, I'm not interested in bioactive to me. I, I just, I don't, I'm not, I'm just not, I, I, I'll clean the snake shit. I have no problem yeah. with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I, personally to me, I would, the only reason why I would like naturalistic plants over say artificial plants would be, I think that that would help with the air inside the mm-hmm. cage and the humidity mm-hmm. inside the cage, you know? So absolutely. Um, but you got to be careful and pick the right plants because, you know, pythons, big carpets can, yeah, you can need make something a mess that's, of shit real quick. Yeah. You need something that's a little durable. I mean, pothos kind of always ends up being the, the default go to because <laughs> it's, it's hardy. Yeah. I mean, it survives. Um, there's other options out there, of course, but, you know, that's the, there's an advantage to doing a bigger enclosure than you have more options. You could literally go get a small tree and put it in a big enclosure, you know, yeah, like a ficus. Sure. you could throw a damn ficus in a big How enough cool enclosure. How cool would that be? So you could, you could really, um, open some doors going big like that and, and not have any issues, but yeah, I think, I think that the ventilation thing is a big deal. I always, you know, solder holes in tubs, no matter how much gap there is. I still want more airflow, uh, a room fan, open windows. I'm very cognizant of, of the air circulation. I think that, like you said, it's so, so overlooked uh, and it's very important, especially in high humid species. That's, and that's a challenge because ventilation and humidity sort of don't, they don't, you know, work together. Like, you know, you can't have one and the other or like it seems that way anyway. So right. people, people freak out about it in rainbow bow world all the time. They're like, you know, they, they have to be 99% humidity all the time. And Oh my God. And, and it's just like that. If it, if it was truly 99% humidity all the time, you'd have bacteria growing, you'd have mold growing, mm-hmm, especially right. without good ventilation, especially because it's a closed system. you got to remember, this is all a closed system. In the wild, when it's 99% humidity, it's because right. there's freaking rain and it's a huge rainforest. It's a jungle and it's like, it doesn't right. matter how open it is. There's so much water in it, but that's got the ventilation. And it's hard to replicate that in a small enclosure. Right. So with my my adult rainbows like just make sure they shed well and that's how i know i'm doing it okay i'm not constantly spraying i'm not even measuring the humidity in there it's just humid can you tell with them like i know it's short tails when they're when they're you know humidity or like water water is off um (laughs) it, it uh you, you they sort of like their scales get like dimply or something do rainbows do the same type of thing 
mm-hmm. to where you can sort of visually see that mm-hmm. the humidity is off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you Absolutely. see it in the eyes as well? I've definitely seen yeah. that with like yeah. sunken eyeballs. You know, that's that's the thing with uh, commercially available products like we're talking about now. Most people think they're limited to a light bulb, a glass tank, and aspen bedding, and 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 with species like rainbow bows, I see it all the time. And I can, I got into it with some guy on Facebook. He's, he posted a photo of his baby rainbow in a glass tank with a red light. And the thing <laughs> I can see it from like this microscopic little baby over here. I could see how dehydrated this thing was yeah. and everything about it was bad. And I was like, oof, that thing needs a, needs a soak, man you know need some humidity in there throw that thing in a tub and he like deleted all my comments he's like my family's gonna think i don't know what i'm doing if I, they wow. see that i'm like dude you don't know what you're yeah. doing <laughs> <laughs> he's like i just convinced them i was like okay okay my bad uh, my bad yeah. but like i you can see it in a rainbow when they're dehydrated you can see it they get wrinkly their neck gets all foldy their yeah. eyes get all dimply yeah, and they just 100%. look like somebody stuck them under a a, a blow dryer and they just all like yeah. stuck out in the desert and that's right it's real bad um yeah it's not good yeah not good. so so in my main room um what i do is i have a cycle to where i turn so this will go to alex's question about do you guys shut off heat at night or leave it on all the time me personally i sort of i i don't understand when naturalistic keepers don't follow nature, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> sun go so, down. Yes, sun Wait, goes you down. Mean turn the lights off. The big fireball in the sky turns off. Go down <laughs> twelve <laughs> hours. You know. Um, so, like, I turn off all the heat at night. Everything. I don't have any heat on at night, no ambient temp. And I do this all year long. Now I'm not, you know, make sure you know the temperatures in your room. So if your room right. goes down to like 40 degrees at night, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. But my ambient stays in the seventies, which is totally fine, which again, just like blew my mind about the idea of temperatures when it comes to pythons and particularly carpets, you know, because to me taking it to 70 degrees was how you bred them because they were cold but like when you're in australia and it's 70 degrees and they're not breeding and you're like huh okay all right maybe i got this all wrong (laughs) maybe it's not temperature that really kicks them into breeding maybe it's something else but so the all the heat lights everything turns off at night and then i turn a humidifier on Mm. so it um you know, it, it takes, there's still heat throughout the room because I have all the heat spots and everything. So, you know, that ambient stays for a while, but once that humidity kicks on, it still actually feels kind of warm in the room, but it's, it's in the seventies, you know, it feels like it's warm, but it's really not. It's just very humid. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, humidity, is at night like the humidity goes up when the yeah. sun goes down you know yeah. so I yeah know. i've been running my humidifier in the room at night uh, oh, yeah. a lot lately yeah if i run it during the day with the heat in here it just it doesn't have the same effect it just makes things wet and the floor gets wet whatever but 
right. if I run it at night, when I come in in the morning, the little therm- thermometer that's on that mini incubator over there, it'll show that it's like, you know, a nice spike at night and it's great. And that's yeah. why I've been getting perfect sheds in the adult rainbows, even with right. the large airspace and stuff. So, nice. um, and you know, heating, heating the room, I'm not heating the room like 80 degrees. Like I'm not doing the Terry Phillip method because I am also running hot spots on animals. I'm heating the room to a range of 74 to 76, just trying to keep the cold end off right. right now, but keeping it low enough where everybody can still get their thermal gradient based on the species I have. And I'll probably turn that up a little bit in the next couple of weeks, but ultimately yeah you have to pay attention to all of that all those variables all those factors yeah for sure yeah and i think uh it's important just to keep checking those things right you know like oh, we always. all think you know like just always i think i think i've talked to people where they have this idea that like they set it and even i've been guilty of this in the past where you sort of set it and forget it mm-hmm. you know it's like oh the thermostat says 85 so it must be 85 and then like you check it and you're like you know you're like see this to me is like paying attention to your snake how it happened to me in the early days was i set it to like 85 let's say and i came home and like all the snakes are on the like smashed up against the front of the of the enclosure and i'm like huh that seems odd that one two three four five you know what i mean are all like right there and then you look at the hot spot and it's like 95 degrees so it's like oh oh shit that's not good yeah so yeah, and I mean, sometimes you really even have to just be making micro adjustments, you know, All like I know right now it's going to be a little heat wave for like three or four days where I'm at. Probably you too, Riley. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be 80 degrees here. Mm-hmm. And last week we were lucky to get to like, 60s. you know, the 60s. So, you know, I'm going to have to bump everything up to keep my temperatures where I want because my ambient's going to be way hotter. And yeah. obviously I don't have a heater. I don't have AC either. So yeah, right. I have to be paying attention and, uh, right. and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. 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 Every season you should be adjusting four mm-hmm. times yeah. a year. Just yeah. adjust, just check it all, you know, keep temp guns. You know, if you're running light bulbs, obviously light bulbs go out. So you got to replace those. Um, those damn UV meters are so expensive. So like, if you're, you know, trying to be diligent about your UV bulbs, just replace them every six months to a year. Yeah. yeah. The manufacturers always say they're good for six months, but even then I can tell you from experience that you can pull a brand new Zoomed, you know, power sun bulb out, pull like four of them out and they all behave differently right out of the box. And mm-hmm. they, they take a nosedive after like, the second month in their uv output so if you're trying to achieve high amounts of uv output but your your bulb is more than a foot away after about two months you're going to have a nosedive in that uv output um right so you know one of the book i'm going to grab a book real quick Ooh, books there right, like goes it. again we need a little <laughs> song and we can hit a button every time eric goes for a walk oh yeah we should like uh like a little theme song, like a Peter mm-hmm. Griffin theme song. You said Peter Griffin, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just what I what I think what of. What the hell? Peter Griffin. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like the show that gives me the great example of the of the song, you know. Ouch. So so these books are good all in themselves, right? Again, that's not the one, but this series of 
mm. of books, but these two in particular, that one. Fire. Tile keeping fire the sun. Its right. use and replication within reptile keeping. Interesting. That's very right. cool. Part one. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. So it just talks about like, you know, um, it just talks about like the different aspects of um heating, sun, um, you know, um just UV, all these different things, you know, how reptiles utilize it. Um, you know, it's got like different graphs and stuff in there and stuff. Mm. It's it's really Love good graphs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, things like that. I think it just gives you a, an understanding. If you're trying to create nature in a box, you should sort of understand nature, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how it works. So well said. Like yeah, lighting is a is a whole a whole thing. It's a whole science. And even the best, yeah. even the best UVB bulbs out there don't don't even compare to actual sunlight. No. And then you got to think about the natural history of the animal and how they behave and what they're exposed right. to and then how their environment plays a role. Like if you're talking about an animal that's out in the desert getting full spectrum broad sun on a rock without yeah. anything Just blocking sun. Bombarded. Tons right. of UV of all spectrum, tons of heat. Whereas a poison dart frog under dense canopy in the rainforest of Costa Rica gets zero light like not even any light like the only light it sees is refracting coming through like a really far off canopy and it it's not getting any uv rays um but but they survive there so they're getting whatever necessary vitamins their skeletal structure needs elsewhere so your approach for keeping uh a dart frog compared to a desert tortoise obviously completely different but right they're still reptile and amphibian ectotherms that have you know these needs and so you you have to understand so much about lighting um mm-hmm. when you're doing oh, that yeah. and yeah it and then i as i'm saying that i circle back around to rack keeping and how lighting isn't really a thing in racks um yet right yet I think it will yeah. be in time because racks yeah. aren't racks aren't going anywhere. People no. using racks isn't going anywhere. So what's no. gonna what's gotta give? Well the technology's gonna give. Eventually mm-hmm. it's right. gonna give and eventually there will be something to accommodate rack keeping. For so, sure. So yeah. We'll see what that ends up being. But I think I think I think the reptile hobby is done denying that lighting is important. Um I think lizard keepers have been saying it forever. I think you know, saltwater fish and reef keepers have been, you know, obviously in tune with that. Um, plant people are in tune with that. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just silly to suggest otherwise, like every thing that is alive is evolved to, you know, to, to the sun in their habitat, you know, it's to some degree. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just the way I agree. <laughs> yeah, I would think that um I would be surprised to learn if maybe some of the problems that we have with snakes, pythons, carpets, whatever you want to say in captivity stem from our approach of keeping it alive as opposed to, you know, giving it these additional things that they don't they don't need to survive, but you know. I think about if you were lost in the woods, right? You know, 
and you have nothing but you know cliff bars you're yeah. gonna eat the cliff bars and then you'll survive but like you're probably gonna look like shit by the time you get out you know what i mean like it's gonna take a toll on certain things and it may affect your health overall like it's you're gonna be alive but like you know i hate that i hate cliff bars so gross yeah but, but yeah, um, it's that animal know, welfare piece. Like yes. survival shouldn't be the benchmark. <laughs> right. Surviving that's, versus thriving. That's the minimum. Yeah. 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 So, I, I think we're all sort of acknowledging that shift. Yeah. So let me ask this. You guys have dealt with the public, uh, for lack of a better word, beginner reptile person, you know, mm-hmm. like, have you seen a shift in that? Have you seen them come in? from the base with this uh, better understanding of this stuff. Uh, it seems like it's more snake part of the hobby than anything mm-hmm. else. Have you, have you seen that shift? I, I see a lot more beginners coming in with the impression that UVB and bioactive and big full displays are necessary across the board. Okay. Um, sometimes people have a misunderstanding of what that appropriate size for the species is, but they all seem to think that everything Bigger is needs, better. Yeah, yeah. Most, you know, the only thing is people are limited by is their wallet in space. But when that's not a limitation, everybody, you know, kind of has it in their head that like, well, I should set it up and give it room, you know, give it light. It needs this like what? the racks are still foreign to a lot of beginners. The whole concept of keeping things sterile and and, in these types of systems is still, um, people are still just discovering it when they're still beginners because they don't see that in reptile shops. We're not selling racks in the reptile Mm -hmm. shop, you know? So yeah. 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 It really wouldn't be for that kind of keeper. Right. 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 And it's, it's a little hard for me to speak on that because I don't think I was around a reptile shop environment enough to like see an evolution, but at least during my time, like it was really a mixed bag. You know, I'd have folks just like how Riley's describing, but then there would also be plenty of people that, you know, were trying to be the next, uh, big rack ball Python breeder, you know, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it was a mixed bag, but there were definitely a lot of people that seemed to want, to offer a more naturalistic approach, which, you know, maybe that is an evolution just yeah, in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I still think there's challenges with certain species that like, you know, short tails always come to mind for me all the time. Like, you know, I, I think of, um, I, I have to, to refer back to Keith and Matt and like, you know, those guys have tried different ways to keep these things and like, they seem to do the best in this sort of setup where it's a rack with a big hide where they can sort of get into that's humid. And, you know, like <clears throat> those to me, more so than any other Python, they are a sit and wait ambush predator. Yeah. You know, I mean, more look so at them. than, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So like, they're they're the type of species that's just going to like sit under some palm fronds until something comes past it and then they're going to take a shot at it as opposed to a carpet where i could say yeah they're probably moving a lot more than 
something like a short tail. So knowing your species yeah. is important too, you know? Yeah. If you're going to set up a short tail in a naturalistic enclosure, just get any size enclosure that it fits in, throw some dirt in there, throw a bowl of water and put a palm frond on top of your snake and you're done. You're done. <laughs> That's it. You know? All it wants. And for those in particular, you know, I say this too, they are very sensitive to temperature. Whereas if you keep mm-hmm. them, Right, you have this this window, and if you step out of that window at all, mm-hmm. yep. you're gonna screw them up. Yep, which is worth saying. You know, uh, know how your room behaves before you dive into a species like that, because right. if you have to run exceptional amounts of heat just to do that, your margin of error is very slim. You go too yeah. high, you got an angry animal. If you have a power adage, you have a dead animal. If you go too cold, you have a sick animal. Uh, and they, there are species that like, you can be successful giving them a basking spot, but it sounds like they do best just kind of keeping them at a steady ambient. ambient. Yes. Yeah. Just yes. rock them at like 82, 83, keep them humid yeah. and they're good. Yeah. They're not really arboreal. You, you know, I know like there's been pictures of ball pythons and trees and stuff like that to where sure. you could say like they go up, but I have never seen, have you? A picture of a short tail in a tree? No. 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 I think physics would argue with that one. Yeah. They're heavy. <laughs> well, they're and I think this donky. is sometimes where this whole cage versus rack debate always kind of gets kind of gets screwed up because you could be arguing with somebody that keeps short tails and you're keeping Amazon tree boas. Sure. And obviously Amazon tree boas are gonna do spectacular in a natural setup with, you know, even bioactive or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Whereas that short tail, like you're, and, and not to mention the fact, here's the other thing. Like when somebody's keeping bioactive for a short tail, right? Like they don't realize (laughs) what do you think happens when that snake takes a shit? Oh my God. Yeah. Flood. Those, those bugs are swimming in puddles of pee. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh they're not going to be able to handle that. Correct. Mm, so no. that's why, you know, there's certain as uh, you know, parts of the community that sort of were like, no. And like, yeah. I think like we just want everything to be either a or B. Well, and, <laughs> and that's not that's that simple. The problem with the beginners is they, th- they think inside that rigid mindset. They think that right. it has to be one or the other. They don't, they haven't, come to the right realization yeah. in their keeping journey that there's a million colors of crayons in the box you know there's like right. a lot you can do um and then you know anything mm. that's the newest fad the newest trend is what is grabbed and right now it's bioactive and lucas and i were on uh <laughs> the hurt panel forum last week and one of the questions that was asked of us that everybody kind of went around um was like, what do you think is the most overrated thing in reptiles right now? And was it you that said bioactive Lucas or was it summer? I think summer said it, but you know, my story with bioactive, you know, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So her answer was, uh, that bioactive keeping is the most overrated part of reptiles right now. And not that it's wrong or bad or doesn't have its place. Like it certainly has its place for me. I think it's fantastic for, uh, frogs, small geckos, 100%. um, things like that. Other than that, I, I don't care. Um, I, I'm not going to put in any effort into it because I've seen it 
be a waste and not successful with anything bigger than that. And so it has its place, but this whole like, you know, persecution of anybody who doesn't keep their animals bioactive needs to stop. Like if there's any newcomers listening to this, bioactive is okay. We're not trashing it, but what you need to understand is it, it has its application. It has its lane. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reptiles and amphibians that will not accommodate that style of keeping because there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of those species out there. So there is no such thing as a one size fits all in husbandry for anything ever period. The rigidity is, is like, it's just putting your brain in a box, like take the walls down and open up and learn it all. You know, yeah, we, like, we're, we, there's nothing wrong with somebody keeping on paper. Find out why they're doing that. You know, right. find out why they keep that way. Yes. Yeah, there could be a reason, you know, yeah. like I know when when I was coming up in the hobby, you know, like there were so many different experiments with different types of substrate, you know, for a while, cypress mulch was big. Mm-hmm. Then it sort of was Aspen was sort of something, you know, but mm-hmm. they they sort of all had their pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's sort of trying to figure out like, you know, where um, where you can what you're trying to do. And more importantly, what species are you working with? Because I think like when we apply these general terms to everything, Mm -hmm. you just, you can't, you just can't do it that way because there's so just within carpet pythons alone, you cannot keep a diamond python. Like you keep a Darwin carpet. You just, you're going to kill it. You just can't, you know, it'll survive for a while, but long-term no, it's just not going to work, you know? So you have to decide where what you want to do and where you want to go, you know, um, and then sort of, you know, what species you want to work with and try, you know, I, I can't say um, how, how much of, um, you know, uh, how important it is to know the natural history of whatever species you're working with, you know, mm-hmm. like you could keep, so like say, you know, I know like for myself, when you're keeping a large uh, amount of animals, right. You're trying to sort of, you know, keep it as clean as you can. And I think that the, the advantage to paper is, is that it's, it's all, it's an advantage in some ways and a disadvantage in other ways. It's sure. like There's you're taking take. that whole substrate out right. and cleaning the whole enclosure every time. Right. There's, right? there's pros and cons to it. But right. Your, your goal is the health of your animals in that method. And your, your cost is the aesthetic by using paper. Mm-hmm. This, this was a this is a good comment that sort of uh encapsulates sort of what we're discussing here and the challenges overall aurora exotic says the young people coming into this grew up with the internet uh, that's yeah. very true the new generation they have they have this tool that they've never known a life without of and they gotcha. expect a straight this is how sort of answer the nuance right. and choices seem difficult for many of them and i couldn't agree with that more when, when you've grown up thinking that you can just quickly get the answers in your pocket at any given moment, um, sure. yeah. you know, they haven't, they haven't gone through the experiences that, that we have having to yeah. learn by trial and error or, you know, keeping in fish tanks because an industry didn't exist yet sort of thing. Like they, they haven't learned that. And so they don't have they don't have the the like the social intellectual skills within the reptile hobby to 
to figure it out for themselves because nobody slapped them across the face and said, you don't understand because you don't know what you don't know yet. You have to like, you have to shed all of that like security in what you know and completely just, I don't know anything. I'm naive. Can somebody show me this? And then you just got to go with it. You you have to admit your naivety and, and ignorance and it's okay. And just learn it. You know, I had a thought as you were saying that, and you know, that explains like say younger people coming into the hobby but I'm going to give a, a, a perspective for older people that are in the hobby like myself, right? In the in the early years, to your point, right? We didn't have ZooMed, Arcadia, you know, <laughs> there was none of that. Mm-hmm. So you're almost forced to first, there's no books. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a few books that are written, but not to the level of what is today. There's no right. internet. There's none of that stuff. So you sort of you're forced to sort of look at the natural history of an animal mm-hmm. and you have like and I think this is where it frustrates older keepers is that they're focused on that natural history aspect of it of understanding how the animal works not 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 following on um, baking a cake recipe mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. you could keep an animal say on the east coast one way and then, like, when you move out to the West Coast, you're going to keep it totally different and have to adjust those things. Well, if you're, you know, on the East Coast and you're just used to following a formula, you're going to go out there and you're going to fail and you're going to, you know, then you're going to say, this, you know, you're going to be pissed off because, but the problem is you didn't take the time to learn that natural history of the animal and sort of be able to look at this, the animal and make little like we were talking about just a couple minutes ago, making these minor adjustments based off of what you're seeing, you know, student of the serpent type of deal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, Oh wait, it's why is it pushed against the front? And then you go and you look, Oh, it's too hot. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. I remember just, just from the carpet point of view, and I've said this a million times on NPR, I, I was, I, I remember when I first came into carpet pythons, it was 95 degree hotspot and, 85 degree ambient. That was the the cookie cutter carpet python. If you looked in a book online, all these keep, this is what they did, right? So without even taking into account things like where that person was from, where are they keeping it? You know, Stan Cheeris got a lot of shit because of how he kept diamond pythons. But after talking to Rob, Rob explained to me like, listen, yeah, he kept them out in his garage in in the winter time, but it's not like you keeping a diamond python out in your garage during the winter time because of where they're from. Like the right. temperature, they're high, closer to the sun. So Rob will get like a foot of snow. And then like by the afternoon, it's like gone, you know, yeah. it, whereas like here we're going to see it doesn't matter if the next couple of days it's 60 degrees out every day, you're going to have um, snow around for a while because it's just not going to melt as fast as if it's, you know, you're closer to the sun. So like, you know, I, I, I think I, yeah, there goes that uh, drop in nature again. Right. But I think like, um, you know, I think that you have to sort of take into account that and like understand that like they didn't get here just by chance. Like they're not keeping the species this way just because, you know, now 
I will give pushback to some keepers that have been keeping for a while that they, that, you know, Owen would always say this to me and it would, it would just boil my blood because I would be like, no, no, what are you doing? He'd be like, if it's not fixed, then don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. But we're trying to make it better. Right. You know what I mean? Trying right. to take it ahead the next step. And I think that a lot That's of people, a lot of became, people don't seem to like for some reason. Yeah. Right. Progression is so scary. Dumb. Correct. Yeah. Because <laughs> now you're challenging what this worked for me forever. Now I'm going to have to change everything up and do everything different, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, the horse and carriage worked for a while too. I, I think, uh, <laughs> it was okay to move on. Yeah. I think yeah. Tesla is a little bit better, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're nice. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a good point though. No, that's a really good point. hundred percent. Yeah. It's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, I wonder, it's uh, I wonder what our life is going to be like in, in 10, 15, 20 years, you know, looking back on this conversation, like, remember when we kept snakes without UVB? Remember well, when we didn't, you know, well, like, yeah. Remember when I had that snake have break her back, uh, giving a, laying her eggs because we thought that we knew everything and keeping and, you know, like, and it'll be some like real simple deficiency, like who knows, but I always think about that. By the way, I got some of that, uh, Da Vinci Boa's, uh, supplement in. Yeah. Um, I got the small bottle cause I'm, I'm poor. Um, okay. I really, I really, they have four sizes, but it's expensive. So the small bottle, I don't have it in, in the room with me. It's like, it's like that big. It's like a cough syrup size bottle or whatever. It's like okay. 50, 50 bucks. Um, and it's, and you use a mil per kilo. So, you know, I'll probably go through it all in two months. Um, and the idea is you use it with your breeders. Um, Lucas, what are you doing over there? Drinking your own pee something. or something? Yeah, it's like, water. You're like giggling and like chugging water. I was like, laughing at Ryan Cox. Damn, Lucas. Yeah. No. Oh. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract. Oh, I was like, what? What am I missing here? Oh, I was this wondering was why he was saying "damn, Lucas." I was like, did I fall asleep? Oh, I, th- there I thought it was the uh, the horse comment. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I don't know. Probably, now we're off probably, the rails. I probably it was. Up. Like did this I old guy just kind of doze off for a second. Like, <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> Sorry, um, I don't even I remember what I was saying. Oh, oh no, da Vinci Boa. Oh yeah, so I got I got the supplement. So I'm gonna try that out. I think I'm gonna start giving that out to uh, breeders after okay. laying and start getting that into their the rotation. But um, I'm just kind of curious about the supplementation and and trying to see how it works. And it's just an oral supplement. So um, you what's know, it you, supposed to do? Uh, well, it's got a lot of vitamins in it. A lot of vitamin okay. D, C, B um different enzymes and things and i watched a video that he put out on it uh in january and basically a lot of his clients that buy it a lot of customers are ball python breeders boa breeders um lizard breeders and they use it to help uh just keep their animals healthy that are breeding it helps put helps them just stay healthy keeps their their gut flora going so they can put weight back on it, he, he just has a lot of ad- anecdotal evidence as to why it's beneficial for breeders to have on and he says like you know you give it to them uh uh once a month basically and you do it by weight so it's supposed to be a good supplement to help with you know vitality before hmm. during and after breeding so yes. i figured it can't it can't hurt, you know. Um, I'd like to see 
how it uh, how it helps, if at all, with the citrus tiger after her maternal incubation. Congrats on that clutch, by the way. Thanks, That's man. Awesome. She's uh, she's right there. She's right behind me, right there yeah. in that little. She's in this tub, so that's right. her. And uh, yeah, I know how how much it takes out of a female. So I'm curious to see what it'll do with her uh, after she's done with that one. So, yeah, dude, no, I cannot wait to see. Oh, sorry, Lucas. I well, I was just gonna say because I'm excited for a second here, but um, <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, I cannot wait to see what an albino citrus tiger looks like, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it'll be interesting I hope because it's like what I think it's going to look like, you know? I what hope. what do you what do you think it's going to look like? Like I pre, think it's just, pre-shed or just like as it matures? I think as it matures it's going to be contrast like you've never seen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I think it's just going to be Yeah, it's the You know like I think of have you ever seen uh um Oh, what's the ball python more? The black pastel albino. Hold on, let me see if I can. Yeah, yeah. Where you know what like I'm talking a about? Crisp white no. and a real crisp. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like orangey gold yellow. Yeah, they look they look amazing as babies. Actually, I think they they hold nicely and look good as adults too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure black they do because pastel um, woma. Oh, Lucas, none of that woma talk over here. You keep your aspidites and your pantasites. Nice. So, like, wait, even if it's in reference to nah. ball python morphs, uh, especially. <laughs> Shoot. Shoot. How many strikes yeah. is that in the last five minutes? Oh, I don't know. Swinging them. Uh, keep going. Okay. How do I? Sh- oh shit! Here we go. Now I found it. I'm going to share it real quick. Yeah. Um. Here we go. See, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Real. Or- Real even high. like it's right there in the middle there you go yeah 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 that. real good contrast that black cur- will be white like that and like yeah. you'll have, oh man that's weird how it makes the pattern look like ocelot kind of almost yeah 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 so we'll see what happens and then i'm i i i do actually want a fair amount of uh hets and and not visual albinos because i also would like to because uh, you know how hard it'll be to tell caramel albino from albino. Um, right. I would like to be able to see some hets and see if they're all caramels, if they all come out red, or uh, if I get normals in there, because that'll help me prove out if the male's a super caramel. But he's white and yellow. Like, his albino is... He's crazy. His white is, like, crisp white, and his yellow is crisp yellow. And it's just phenomenal. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a super... How do you think that the, you know, the gray uh, the portals side pattern, whatever you want to call it, um, is going to translate? What do, what do you see there? Like, I think that'll be purple. That's what I thought. Right. So it's going to be like these like yellow portholes on this purple side with this white, you know, sh- stripe and then a yellow stripe. Dude, I'm. Oh, oh man! I'm yeah, so excited about it! I can't wait to see it. It's just, we just have to wait till May, end of May. Yeah, man! Holy shit! And then, uh, and then, uh, you'll get photos first. Okay. <laughs> and then we won't share them with the world yet. We'll just okay. keep everyone waiting, and then we'll let you get to pick which ones you want from the clutch, and then, and then people can see. Yeah, I don't know I what think... I'm gonna do with those, dude. Like, 
I, I, I'm going to have a hard time selling them because like, I know the project value. I know the sentimental value. I know the aesthetic value. I know the citrus tiger value. I know the, the morph value and, uh, and they're going to be striped. So I'm just going to, you know, like I want people to have cool snakes, but at the same time, like, you might just have to burke the clutch. I want yeah, cool man. snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what's going to get cut? Rainbow boas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dude, that'd be... Oh, man, I feel that more and more. I'm like... It's like, it. what are these things doing here? Be gone! <laughs> I feel that more and more. Uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm waiting on... Uh, I'm waiting on a clutch of Exanic Coastals. So if I get um, better uh odds and i actually land some exanic tigers then i can let go of some of the the ones that i kept from last year but i'll be letting you know a bunch of that go so that'll be nice but uh next year i've got two female tiger head exanics in the in the lineup that are ready to go yeah i think that's another one that will be really good again i'm just going by like my mind kind of work like this as far as like looking at carpet python morphs and how they would play out against you know certain traits and stuff and i would sort of sort of look at ball python stuff and see like so how did exanic and this base color sort of work and how did Delbon, you know what i mean like how mm-hmm. did this work and um i don't know for me a pastel exanic as far as ball pythons go, you know, like I would be like, wow, that's really sharp. Like it's whoa, you know, like it's yeah. just it, the contrast is crazy. So I would think that like, if you took that citrus tiger line and put it into exanic, I think you'd get that same kind of yeah pop, you know? Yeah. But, Imagine, yeah. uh, uh, well, what would that be called? An exanic albino citrus tiger. What is that? Like a moon glow citrus tiger, exanic and albino. What is that? snow that's a, that's a snow yeah snow yeah the hypo so a snow citrus tiger see i would worry about the two of them together because i think that you would take away the contrast right mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. like if you look at snow carpets it's yeah. sort of like they you sort of become it. yeah you can sort of like if you look into the light see their pattern kind of <laughs> yeah. thing but yeah. like you probably get more of a, a dramatic look not mixing what, the two what I got to do is I'll send you a hypo and you'll breed the hypo to the albino and intensify it more where you have caramel, <laughs> albino, and hypo, hypo on the six tiger. Oh, You're like kicking God. it up like two notches and then you make it super of each. Holy shit. Oh, that'd be spicy. That'd be yeah, a man. spicy one. That, I, could, I could live with making that crazy cross. I'd yeah. be okay with that one. Bye bye, rainbow boas. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> You know what's crazy? The other night I was like, imagine if I, like, I got to get rid of the Maclocks and the Doomerals I just got and the Rainbows. And, oh, shit. And I was like, whoa, Riley, you need to, like, sit down right now, dude. Yeah. Just get, just put the carpet before the horse. But I'm, I'm just going to, like, not sell anything until yeah. I have to. Right. <laughs> Which, We're going to. Yeah. When you guys come out to the East Coast, we go to the Pine Barrens. We're going to lose Riley for like a couple hours, and he's going to go sit on a rock and contemplate the future of his collection. Yes. <laughs> Where it's just quiet. He's just going to sit there like... Oh, Everyone's going to be like, why is there a destroyed patch of mushrooms over there? Why is there a pile of clothes? What the hell is Riley doing? Right. What did you eat? <laughs> He's swimming in one of those blue pools in the middle of the Pine Barrens. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Man. Yeah. 
Oh, you'll dig that place, man. You'll, yeah, you'll I, re- like I that. really want to go. I really want to. I'm hoping this year we can. I'm hoping that this year we can. I think we can. We can yeah. pull that off. Lucas and I yeah. can get out there. Yeah. I think uh, our Patreons will, will help with that. And yeah. Yeah. Get you. Um, yeah. Do I some think... Pine Barren videos. Be yeah. Cool. Absolutely. I sweet. I that need, would be awesome. I need some fun inspiration that's worth filming because lately I got to tell you, YouTube is, it's, it's kind of been a drag and I don't pay attention to much of it. So I don't allow a lot of that negativity in. Um, but man, like listening to Justin Smith had a great point yes. in his recent podcast um, 100%. with Scott Iper talking about how the public perceives as somebody got bit by their death adder and they were keeping it legally or something like that. And, and all the comments were, wait, why are people allowed to have these? People shouldn't have those <laughs> da, 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 normal citizens. And it, and so, and then he brought up this great point about how, what the average person sees as far as reptile community portrayal is on YouTube because that's, you know, everybody's focus is on video and stuff. It's instant gratification. What's the most prominent YouTube reptile content? Well, it's, it's mm-hmm. the venomous, it's the free handling, it's the showboating, it's the ridiculous, it's the over sensationalized. And so people think we're all just nuts. And, um, and I got to tell you, man, every week it's it's a struggle to put together a video for YouTube, even though every week I get tons of supportive comments and people saying, like, thank you for this stuff. I love that it's not sensationalized. Keep it up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's ultimately why I do it. But even still, it's like, dude, there's something weird that happens in me when somebody is like, you're a YouTuber and and like whatever their point is, it has nothing to do with being a YouTuber. But that label, I'm like. That I don't like that because right now a reptile YouTuber is not a good thing in right. the public's eyes. And so to me, it kind of just feels disgusting. But and if more people did what you did, then it'd then be you would change the perception of what a YouTuber is, which right. is why I still do it every week, you know, which is like that. The people commenting, saying nice things and just. Every week, it's just like, whatever, I'll just do it again. I'll do it again. And then, you know, this week I have a great video because I got a surprise clutch of eggs. And I was like, you know, this will be, this is fun. I'll put this out there because it's carpet pythons. That's why I started um, my YouTube channel was to put more carpet python stuff out. The last week's video was a bummer because it talked about my injured carpet python and having to give her tons of meds, which is a pain in the ass. And it's depressing. And I see all this negative stuff being associated with a reptile youtuber and it just feels dirty you know i just feel dirty yeah and i don't like that i want to feel good about what i'm doing and so when i get those comments of support that's when i feel good but ultimately like i just i've been unsubscribing to a lot of reptile youtube stuff i've been turning it off i don't watch a lot of it i watch some of the aussie folks and the people that go camping or build custom enclosures but otherwise like Dude, I don't even watch YouTube anymore, really. Like, Reptile YouTube is trash. It's yeah. trash. Let's face it, right? It's basically Tiger King in reptile form, right? That's yeah. what it is, right? And, you know? and you know, I'm getting uh, all fired up right now, and I said I wouldn't do this, but, like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that trash, you know? And, like, this is yeah. not part of that trash. Like, this show I find, because we stay away from that, we stay very wholesome, we stay very educational informed people like it and we get a lot of viewership and um and we stay away from some of the sensationalism we stay away from all that but you know right now i just gotta say like 
I appreciate that people stick around on YouTube at all. Yeah. Like, you know, the what people drives watching me... this, thank you. Because yeah. it's so bad. It's just yeah. garbage these days. And I say this all the time, but like, you know, like I, I don't get why you need clickbait for reptiles. Like they're the coolest freaking animals on the planet. You can pick any one, do a little bit of research, right? And everybody's raving about these naturalistic enclosures. Show what the animal does in the naturalistic enclosure. Like, yeah. I mean, you like live in zoology is a perfect example, right? Half the time there's nobody even talking. It's just mm -hmm. a, it's just a video of a, of a reptile and it has like words going across you reading it. I'm not even reading it half the time. I'm just like, wow, look at this. And it's natural environment. It's like, it's like virtual herping, if you will. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, yeah. you know, I think, I think that more people, I, I feel you, man. That's why I stepped away from YouTube as far as, and that's why I struggled so long, not even to put NPR, anything to do with YouTube, Yeah, you know, because I felt like, I'm like, God damn it, man. I've been doing these podcasts since 2011. And like, just because you have a microphone and you're going to talk to people now, all of a sudden you're going to call yourself a pot. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's, again, yeah. it's probably my ego or whatever. You know what I mean? We all have mm -hmm. a little I, bit of egos. I, I don't know if ego is the right word, but you know what I mean? We like, all do. It's part of human nature. And, right. and, and Lorga Sertal brings up a good point. I shouldn't say with a, a generalistic broad sweeping brush that all of YouTube is crap. All of reptile YouTube is crap. We're I talking say, about the main people. Yeah, the main <laughs> stuff. So the stuff that I found, I can't claim to have found and seen every single channel. So, Lorga, your channel is probably not what I'm talking about, and your friends doing a great job, probably not what I'm referring to. I probably haven't found them yet, and, uh, and it's just you know, in general, a lot of what's prominent, the stuff that has millions of su subscribers and views and stuff, the stuff that is you know, according to YouTube's algorithm, the most front and center, that stuff is such a letdown more often than not for me. And, uh, yeah, surprisingly like being in the shop in the reptile shop is such a good, positive, encouraging, fun, excited, wholesome atmosphere that like, I don't have to deal with that as much as I expected. I expected the YouTube world to be sort of like what the hobbyists see and glue to. And I don't get a lot of that in the shop, but yeah, a, uh, I'm 54 weeks into YouTube stuff, you know, consistently pretty much. So that's like a whole year. Yeah. And uh, and it's like, on one hand, I don't want to just stop the work that I've done. I like that I get feedback from people that enjoy my content. Um, I don't consider myself a YouTuber. Um, right. I don't use clickbait. Uh, every thumbnail for my video is literally a screenshot from within the video. So it's nothing faked or staged or made just for that. And I don't, I don't try to draw people in with nonsense and, and, and to be honest, I don't want the fame and, and attention that those big people get that use that stuff. I don't want millions of subscribers. I don't want to feel like I have to do this for a living or full time right. or whatever, but like at the same time, um, I do enjoy that it does something good for the people that are also like me tired of that nonsense. So, yeah, I think that more people, you know, th so this is the approach we sort of took it with NPR over the last couple of years. Right. And I get, I get why people sort of talk about it, but it's kind of like to Justin's point, what he put here and I couldn't agree with him more is that you yeah. promote the good stuff and ignore the clickbait garbage. Yeah. Just yep. ignore it. Don't even, yeah. 
if if all of us just ignored them, mm-hmm. their views would stop. Mm-hmm. And if I more agreed. people that want to do good content and they did the content, you know, yeah, it may take a while. It may mm-hmm. take some time. It may, you know what I mean? But eventually over time, like look what full Phil Wolf is doing with his, um, what does he call it? The venom, um, uh, keep, keeping venomous snake. Like, I can't remember what he's calling it. Sorry, Phil. Um, but basically it's, it's, it's footage of, of tips and tricks on venomous keeping, right. And what not to do and what to do. Totally boring. Right. From, from it's no sensationalism stuff, right. but the people that are looking for that information are going to love that. Right. Yeah. And they're going to love yeah. that content. And people are going to look at us. The average person is going to look at us as more of, um, you know, uh, normal or, or in love Relatable. with it. to me, right. To me, all the, and again, this is sort of where these conversations always go off the rails is sort of like when we sort of paint these broad brushes of, of obviously I don't know every YouTube channel of reptiles out there, right? but I'm talking about the main one, the big ones, the ones that are making a living from YouTube. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm subscribed to all of them. I, I, I watch I watch beachy scaly beast. I watch Coop's Reptiles. I watch uh, Ricky Mack when he's doing his herping and stuff. I watch um, who's some of the other ones. There's um, Aborigine Reptiles. He does like uh, really cool stuff with uh, Australian stuff. And um, I don't know, man. I, I yeah, Lucas yeah. does it too. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I agree. that's why I like to subscribe, surround myself with this type of of people that are are doing it in a positive way. And eventually, over time. You know, cold-blooded cousins. That's another mm, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, oh, they're they're freaking awesome, man. Like their herping videos in Australia is nuts. You know, and like I can watch sit there and watch it for hours. You know, I even watch um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rob turned me on to him. Old school um, Australian guy. He used to. Justin probably knows this as um, as I'm saying this um, um shit uh. He's the guy that found I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. He's the guy that found the rough scales with um oh, what the hell is his name? Anyway, Why he's man? there on YouTube. He doesn't have a channel per se, but like his YouTube videos are great if you want to learn about Australia and the different spots and environments and all that kind of stuff. Old, but um Harry Butler, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um just I don't know, man. There's tons of stuff out there. Um yeah. Yeah, look, man, Justin's on a roll. Look, he's just <laughs> machine gunning them all out. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, cool the, shit. his point is dead on. Like you can, well, we, the collective, we, the, the reptile keeping population can essentially suffocate those channels by not giving them the views and the subscribership, but, or make them change. Yeah. Yeah. Or make them change. Yeah. Like by unsubscribing or, you know, telling them that they're tired of X, Y, or Z will eventually make them change because if they are living on that livelihood, and people start leaving, then they have to change or yeah. find another job, which is fine by me. Um, but yeah, like I just, I get yeah, worried man. sometimes, man. I get really worried sometimes about the public perception of things and how big it's gotten lately with COVID putting a spotlight on all the exotic pet stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, 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 like every week I slug through another YouTube video, whether it's good or bad. And every week I'm like, do I really want to make another one? Like, mm-hmm. And then every week it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah. And then we do these live ones and I love the live stuff because it's just, it's on the spot. It's genuine. It's helpful. And it's usually guided by guests and conversation and good content anyway. So it, 
you know, when we're keeping it in mind like that, it can't be bad. So like this stuff is fine. You know, it's sure. funny, you know, then this is sort of like how I gauge, um, you know, certain things, right. It's like, usually when me and Rob have our conversation once a week, he's been talking to me about carpets and coffee and how he's like really enjoying it because we're having conversations about variety of topics and like, you know, throwing out ideas and sort of like bouncing things off of each other and the, and the people that are watching and stuff. And like, to me, there's so much value in that. And like, when you have a guy like, you know, Rob Stone, who like, you know, who knows as much as he knows, um, you know, get something out of those things. It's like, okay, maybe that's we huge. are onto, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, that's maybe very we're flattering. Onto something and, 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 yeah. and, just keep keep going with it. And I hope, you know, the whole idea of doing this on YouTube and making an NPR network YouTube channel, right? I mean, we look at the 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 we're looking at the um, you know, subscribers and stuff like that. And we're like, you know, keep tr trucking along, trucking along, it'll get there. Um, but hopefully when we start to be able to herp again, you know, we can bring like good solid reptile content that's not mm -hmm. BS, doesn't have clickbait shit and all that kind of stuff. And just like just ignore the other shit and just keep going with what we're doing. And eventually the cream rises to the top. Yeah. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you the the only way you fail is if you quit, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that that that'll that'll just be on us. And we'll just yeah, I mean, you guys have already put you and Owen have put 10 years of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into this, this, you know, empire you've built pretty much. Right. So, um, definitely not stopping anytime soon. So I've, I'm really, really hoping that this summer, this fall, Lucas and I can, can fly out to, out to see you guys and get out there, go herping out there. And, Oh, it's going to happen. happen. I'm it's gonna happen. Uh, it's gonna yeah, be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even gonna if happen. we gotta Don't... hitchhike it all the way, we'll get there. No, man. I mean, <laughs> flights aren't that expensive. Couple, you know, dude, it's sixty bucks for me to go to Vegas and back right now. Right. Wow. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So don't worry. Yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. I'm down. I'm super down. Super super down. Right. And eventually we'll make it to Australia, and we'll get yep. there too. Yep. Yep. You know? yep. We'll warm up with a. Uh, a domestic herp trip. <laughs> yeah. We'll just yeah, get we our feet under us together. Right. Yeah. We got to flex the muscles a little bit. You know, it's like right. stretching. Training. Train. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> practice. Yeah. Practice. Right. You want to talk about practice? Right. So, oh, oh man. Well, I yeah. need lunch, guys. I need to get some food. Yeah. Agreed. I don't know about you, but um, I think, uh, yeah, I miss Carpet Fest too. Good point. Yeah, Donnie that's Barrett. another one, you know. Yep. Yeah. Miss Carpet 100%. Fest. So. I still have to go to one. Yeah. We'll we'll pop your carpet fest, Cherry. Don't don't you worry, Lucas. Well, when Boy. you come out here, we'll have like a mini carpet fest, right? I don't think yeah. carpet fest is happening this year, but you know, nah. we'll have like a little. You'll get the you get your like your own little private carpet fest. Uh, That'll do. That'll be great. <laughs> we'll call Howard ahead of time. We'll have yeah. Scally come down. We'll hit up Keith. We'll hit up Matt. Yeah, no, It'll I be... can't wait. It'll be great to meet everybody in person. And hell yeah, man! Put put some of this COVID shit behind us. Yeah. I'll show you a blue tongue skink. Uh, you oh know, man! Uh, <laughs> so I gotta make the trip. Womas, yeah, yeah. <laughs> woma pythons. Yeah. Hey, did you see we got that first clutch of woma eggs? I saw that. Shop. Hell yeah! Yep. One down, Brett. two to go, or one is more Brett to go. Watching? So. It's Brett uh, watching. Yeah. Brett, Brett is. He'll just pop up now. <laughs> he's. I'm sure Brett. 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 
Brat, 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 brat. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be there, but yeah, we, we should have some the, uh, soon, so. the reduced pattern clutch is the one you're still waiting on, right? Yes, yes, yeah, that one's still coming. That's the one he's gonna kill somebody over. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, Brett, yeah, it's me, yeah, it's yeah, gonna yeah. kill me, but I'm yeah, closer, yeah. so yes, I'm, I can out. drive over. That's why, <laughs> yeah, you just got to be faster than I have the upper all. hand, yeah, yeah, you got you it, go. you got it, Lucas. Yeah. So we'll figure it out soon, soon. But uh, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, oh, hopefully, hopefully next week when we talk, uh, I'll be that much closer to whatever clutch is next. I think, I think next by next week, I'll be only three days out from Kribo eggs if they aren't here already. That's awesome. Nice. Yep, and cool. and for people that didn't see on Instagram uh, that have been following along with Riley and I's little blackhead mm. breeding project, uh, she dropped eggs. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. dropped uh, nine eggs, five of which were slugs, right. four of which are fertile. Two of those fertiles are minor boob eggs. It's really not bad considering like sometimes you can see a boob egg where it takes up half of it. These are just like, a, you know, they should hatch no problem. So Fingers uh, crossed, assume, yeah. yeah, assuming all goes well, that's that's four blackheads. Uh, that would be sweet. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Very cool. And uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted on those Womas and please yeah. do i'll so. hop in the car i'll be there i'll be right over <laughs> yeah yeah that'll be sweet uh, i look forward to it man this is gonna be a good season lots of eggs lots of good good australian reptiles to to produce absolutely heck yeah yep. heck yeah all right who wants to who wants to start the the song and sing us on out of here i'll make it short and sweet if you want to support us subscribe to the youtube channel uh you know subscribe to the podcast um you can find it over on any podcast app you choose to use carpets and coffee um <laughs> let's see there's Morelia python radio there's student of the serpent there's colubrid corner there's carpet cliff notes there is a field chirping podcast there is also uh yeah centralian exile huh? oh humans that coming out did you record humans... did you record it yet Oh, I'm talking to Justin tonight, actually. Humans of herpeticulture. Yes. Okay. Can't wait to hear that. Justin's the man. Um, And uh, we have a monitor show that's uh, going to be uh, the first episode has been recorded, um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, still working out the details of that. So um, cool stuff. A lot of a lot of cool stuff in in the works. Um, Subscribe to all those, uh, you know. Yeah. What can I say? Cool Sign stuff. up for Patreon <laughs> if you aren't already. Yeah, if you, you, you want to uh, support uh, what what Eric and Owen have built, go become a patron. Yeah, absolutely. And we appreciate and then, everybody uh, that has so far. And, yeah, and uh, that'll and help ne- get uh, next Sunday. We're gonna do the first uh, the first patron exclusive okay. uh, live Q and A. Right next Sunday, we'll do that. Yes. Uh huh. We'll 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 reach out to everyone with details but it will likely be a a zoom meeting i think no i found it i'll get with you guys but i found something that will work and right on patreon and you can sort of do it so perfect all right we'll reach out because we have we have all the patrons emails so uh if you're if you're a patron of of uh npr and the uh the inland tier you will get a a notification sweet that'll be fun yeah That'll yeah. be cool. I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure Owen will be will be glad to be included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love and you, we can, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. We we yes. you know you got questions for us. You know there'll yep. be comments just like in this show. And um, yep, yep, it'll yeah. be all live Q and A style for a whole hour. 
you got us. Yep. So, yep. so all righty. All right. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the chat. Thanks for tuning yeah. in everyone. Thanks for making it. This was a little bit longer than normal, but, uh, it's always the highlight of my week. So Absolutely. wouldn't miss it. So great talking. Yeah. yeah man. Always. always until, good. until next week, we'll catch everyone later for some more carpets and coffee. All right. All right. See you. See you.